This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right by. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sox win. What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Good morning. It's a gorgeous Sunday morning. They say it's supposed to rain sometime today, but hopefully that holds off. You can enjoy your day. I know if you're a soccer fan, you're probably just gearing up for 10 o'clock for France and Croatia, because that's what Chris and I are going to be doing. We'll be talking. We're not sure if we'll make much sense between 10 and 12. Well, yeah, for then we'll, again, we never make much sense. Sure, and we'll <laughs> be here to update uh, as you drive around, because uh, there is no radio coverage of no. the game, so... We'll keep you up to date on what Mbappe and Pogba and uh, Modric are all up to in the World Cup final. Yeah, I got the starting lineup. I was thinking I would give it like like a baseball lineup, but I said, ah, no, I'll just hold on to it in case (laughs) somebody needs to know who scored or something. We've got all the names here. Just there's a bunch of itches for Croatia and then a couple guys you really need to know on France. So that'll be fun. The World Cup comes to an end in the next one four years from now in Qatar. That'll be interesting. It's going to be from November 21st to December 18th. So it'll only have basketball, hockey, yeah. college football, pro football, uh, and well, the baseball playoffs will just be over. Um, but that's they have all that to contend with when they have it uh, in four years from now. If so. Fox thought they had problems this year, uh, yeah. they better hope and pray the U.S. makes it. Because in four years, the eyeballs will not be solely on the World Cup as it happens. Yeah, it's a lot easier going up against just baseball, to be honest with you, and then sure. as opposed to all the other sports that we're going up to. But we got four years to worry about that. The World Cup comes up today, the final France and Croatia. But there's tons of other news, and I'm glad we've got Mr. Basketball Chris Black here because I wanted to ask him about what the Bulls did yesterday. The Cubs, I was hoping that Abdallah would be here. Abdallah's got the day off. He'll be here next week. But this would have been the perfect day for Abdallah to be here because he could have just sat there and said, happy swag. Yeah, well, you know, for like it's three hours. He probably is wherever he is. <laughs> uh, I think he's in Iowa, actually. Uh-huh. I think he's sitting in whatever room. He just woke up out of a cold sweat. And he's yeah. just saying, bias, swag, <laughs> bias, swag. Uh, you know, it's uh, Abdallah's a uh, little bit about Javi and the swag thing is uh, is beyond the point of ridiculousness, but it has some oh, sure. uh, fact in it. And the reason why he and I in 14 and in 15 were so into the, the game that Javi Baez brought to the table was because of the entertainment, the fun, right. uh, his ability to do something amazing out of nothing. And I get it. He swings and misses as at sliders low and outside in the zone, and he swings from his heels on a, almost every single cut he takes. But the problem is uh, that's fun to watch. And when he connects, he hits it really far, and yeah. he's been the Cubs' best player in the first half of the season. He hits it really hard, and I'm not sure which pitcher it was yesterday. It might have been this Perdomo from San Diego who was on the hill when it was uh, earlier in the game. There were men at second and third, 
And I'm looking, and the very first pitch he threw to Javi Baez, Baez was a fastball down the middle of the plate. Javi, after he, the game, he may have gone over to Perdomo and asked him if he's free on Monday night to pitch for the home run derby. Because any pitcher in Major League Baseball that throws Javi anything close to a strike is an idiot. Because yeah. the one thing Javi Baez has shown is that if you give him something to hit, he is going to hit it, and he's going to hit it hard. The The way people got him out over the last couple of years was throwing him sliders down and away, or a high fastball here and there, or a ball in the dirt, and he may swing at it, and things like that. And good pitchers will do that, but there are a lot of pitchers that are not good, and Javi's taking advantage of him. That's what he's supposed to do, and he's he's thrilling to watch. He's a lot of fun to watch. Murph and I, we had a big thing the other day, uh, yesterday, talking about, you know, when he was rounding the bases he kept looking over his shoulder yeah. and my biggest thing is you know you're slowing yourself down every time you look over your shoulder you, you know ian happ the other day went from first to third not once did he look for the ball he looked at his third base coach that's what he's there for and but you know what as long as javi is doing it and as long as it's working you can't criticize what's he doing what he's doing because it's working well and he, he's exciting not only cub fans sure. but all the baseball yeah right and i i understand that you're slowing yourself down by looking back but javi is hyper aware of the situation at all times and that's why he's looking back because uh i have a problem with bryce harper when he runs the bases because on his third and fourth stride the first thing he's doing instead of concentrating on the base is knocking is he's, his hat off. he's putting his <laughs> hand up to his head to knock his hat off yeah. his his helmet because yes, he is. you know he has to have the flowing locks as he runs. Uh, listen, Javi isn't doing that. Javi no. is trying to look back to figure out, well, you know, is he bobbling the ball out in the outfield? Can I get an extra bag? Can I Can I get to home? And and he is brilliant on yeah. the base pads. Yes, and is. I think that is the one element that really pops for me to why he's so important to baseball. Because in the day and age of the walk, strikeout, or home run, the all-or-nothing style of play that we've now watched here uh, this season and what we saw last season in Major League Baseball, which a lot of people can point to as being kind of boring and, and not a lot of action. When Javi gets on the base pads, you got to stay watching. You got to stay tuned because he will make something out of nothing. And it is fun to watch because he plays baseball. Like, I think we all thought we could play baseball when we were kids. Yep. Right. You get on first base. Well, what are you going to do? Just wait for someone to drive you in? No, no make it happen. Base, make right. it happen. Baseball yeah. is a sport where so much of the sport is wait and see. Where if you take the action to the other opponent, to the team, to the opponent, you force the issue. Those are the players that are fun to watch because then you will, you will create an error on their part. You will create a decision that was misplayed on the defense. You will create some action, even if he gets thrown out occasionally. More better from Baez when he forces the issue than just sitting back and waiting for someone to help him. Well, and that's and that's what think about it when you're <clears throat> when you're a little kid and you're growing up and playing baseball. The the kids that were really good is and excelled um, at the early ages were the kids that understood the game and they understood that if I push it and make the guys try to throw me out, right. then I'm going to be able to keep rounding the bases because these kids aren't good enough to throw you out. It gets to the point where eventually in the major leagues they are, but. It's funny, if you look at it, fielding is probably the one thing that's taken a hit over the years because everyone's trying to bulk up. They're trying to hit the home runs. They're worried about their all their metrics and their on-base percentages and all that stuff. But fielding is one thing that if you watch enough games, you'll see fielding mistakes all the time. The Cubs took advantage of them both the first two nights in San Diego, and they'll continue to do that. We'll talk to Jesse Rogers around at 9.30. Dan Wiederer from the Tribune as we are just four days away from the Bears reporting to Bourbon A for the start of camp as they get an extra 
extra week because of the Hall of Fame game. We got my uh, baseball notebook coming up at 1030. Adnan Verk, nice enough to join us from ESPN at around 11 o'clock. As there's, they got a lot of stuff going on. You got the home run derby coming up. Baseball, Adnan's all over it. And we'll talk plenty of that. And then Nick Friedel. Uh, we'll talk with him about uh, the Bulls, and we'll also talk with him because he told all Bulls fans, as Bro Connor mentioned in his White Sox report, that they should all come that out. Too? They should all come out to San Diego because <laughs> it's the perfect place to be there if you're a Cub fan. Because it was basically the Cubs in attendance at the San Diego game last night. Hey, this isn't a humble brag. I'm I'm friends with Nick off the air, yeah. and he, I got three text messages telling me and other people that. We gotta make a trip to San Diego. You gotta get out here. Nick, I know San Diego's a nice place. I don't need to go all the way to San Diego just to see the Cubs play. I'll go seven miles north of here and yeah. go see him at Wrigley. I, I mean, know. come on, buddy. I, know. I mean, I'll go to San Don't, you don't have to I've twist never, my arm to go to California, yeah, but still. I've never been there, so I'm really looking forward to yeah, going to nice San Diego. City. It's, and, uh, yeah. In my viewpoint, it's like a uh, it's a south suburb of uh, Los Angeles. Okay, like the uh, the way everything looks uh, scenic wise is about the same if you've ever been to L.A. Yeah. Now the difference between L.A. and San Francisco are dramatically different because San Francisco looks nothing like Los Angeles. No, no, not but San at Diego kind of just looks like a smaller. I mean, Felix, you used to live in L.A. Isn't San Diego just like Los Angeles's little brother? Yes, I yeah. would agree with that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've been to L.A., it's it's been the same thing. It's beautiful. Right. It's the same thing. Yeah. You've um, been to L.A., right? I've friend? been to L.A., but only once. Only, I've only been there once, so I'm looking forward to getting back out there. We have friends who live in uh, Pacific Palisades. Oh, that's fancy. Oh, Ooh, very fancy. Yeah. So, And I'm sure I have friends who live elsewhere, too, because I have a lot of friends out in the area. I just don't know where the communities are. Uh, we are going to talk right now because we're not going to talk... Uh, we'll get a chance throughout the course of the show. We got a couple of guests. We've got World Cup to keep an eye on. But I wanted to ask you your opinion. I know you gave it a little bit in the first, uh, the best of 1000, but the Jabari Parker situation that basically broke yesterday when I was on the air here with Murph. Um, uh, Woj broke it. Adrian Wojnowski talked about it, said that the, he, the Bulls had agreed to a two year deal. Um, the Milwaukee Brewers basically rescinded their, their, uh, their, their what, their what is that? They rescinded their, their offer sheet, their offer to, sheet. Uh, right. to, to have him be a restricted free agent. Right. So basically the Bucks, uh, allowed him to just not be a restricted free agent. He could just outright sign, sign with, with anybody. The Bulls. Yeah. Right. So he signs with the Bulls. You originally hear it and you hear two years, 40 million. And you say, well, that's a lot of money. I thought they were saving their money for next year. Well, they've got an out. It's a team option for the second year. So, um, I, I heard your initial response earlier and, you know, my idea, my buddies and I go down to the state tournament every mm-hmm. year in the state high school tournament. I've seen Jabari Parker play. Uh, he won championships. He was Mr. Basketball. He was a tremendous player. Uh, he's had two left ACLs in four years. Um, they're taking a chance. They've got him and Zach Levine who are both coming back from knee injuries. Uh, I'll, I'm eager to see how this works out. I think it's a great move for the Bulls because, you know, why not? Bring someone in that is 23. Basically, it's a redemption thing for him. He wants to prove he can still play in the league. You got a lot of young guys. Um, but you know, I thought originally that was a great move. What were your initial thoughts? Because I know it first came out on Friday night when you were here and talking about it. Correct. And on Friday night, um, when you heard that the deal was agreed upon, you hoped that it was a one in one contract. Maybe a two year team option would be the perfect scenario. I know, um, you know, initially you're like, 
All right, let's see what the money is. I know it was kind of leaked on Friday night that it would be in the ballpark of $40 million. And at that time, we didn't know the second year would be a team option. And I said to myself, well, listen, if you look at the games uh, between Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, and Jabari Parker, they're all about the same player. And Julius Randle just signed two years for $18 million with the New Orleans Pelicans this offseason. Right. So I don't know if Jabari is twice the player as Julius Randle to deserve 20 per year. So if you want to dice it that way and get into the specifics of the cap, like, yeah, the Bulls have the money this year. So if you want to give a guy 20 million and it's 10 million more than someone who's probably a better player in Julius Randle, then all right, go for it. You know, my initial response after I found out the actual contract and that the second year is a team option, which I think is is a great thing for the Bulls, is this is a no-lose situation for the, the front office and the Bulls franchise because if he turns into an all-star level player, you have the in. You can... You can pick up the the contract next year for 20 mil, and then you can negotiate with him a long-term deal. Maybe he's that max player they're looking for in the future if he became an all-star. Right. Um, So I think for for John Paxson and Gar Foreman and the Bulls front office, this is a no-lose situation because if it doesn't work out, fine. You wipe your hands of it next offseason. You have the money available to go after max free agents uh, one next offseason. And that's just kind of what it is. I think uh, I agree with you. I think taking a flyer is a smart idea. This is a guy that was the second pick in the draft. He has a lot of talent. He had a lot of talent. The injuries are uh, something concerning. But, you know, he is 23. And usually guys come back from an ACL injury. And they don't really have problems with that going going into the future. And I right. know most Bulls fans are scarred from the Derrick Rose experience. Sure they are. Um, but most guys in the league rehab the ACL, and then they get back to somewhat of the same level player that they were in the past. It's not quite what it was back in the days where you get one ACL tear and then you're done for the rest of your career. I mean, Jabari's 23 years old, so he's got a long career ahead of him in the NBA. So one side of the the coin, I say no-lose situation for the front office based on the money, the contract, and just taking the flyer. Now, on the other side, Fred, I don't know how this really helps this Bulls team because Jabari last year was kind of awkward and an awkward fit with the Milwaukee Bucks, uh-huh. a young, fun, up and coming team that was playing well to well enough to get into the playoffs and and to give a decent series to the to the Boston Celtics. Now, you could also add that Jabari didn't play much in the first two games against the Celtics that they lost and then he started playing more. And then the Celtic, and then the Bucks actually played better right. against the Celtics. Right. Uh, but 12 points per game, 4.9 rebounds. Uh, his career, he's a 15 points per game scorer with 5.5 rebounds per game. He's a 3-4. He's a little too big to be a, a standard three in the league. He's a little smaller to be a true four. But if he gets a matchup situation where he gets a big switched onto him, he can take advantage, take a big to the hole. Now, here's the problem. On the defensive end, he's a minus of a player. And if you pair him up with any of the explosive wings across the league, they're going to torch him on defense. Uh-huh. And that's what teams did last year when he was on the court with the Milwaukee Bucks. They had trouble when he was out there on the defensive side of the ball. So if you pair a minus in Parker with Levine, who's also a minus, I just don't know how... The bast- basketball style of Jabari Parker fits with this group that the Bulls have assembled with Dunn, Levine, Marketing, and Carter. 
Like, does it, does that make sense? Like, yeah, I agree. I mean, the money in the contract makes sense, right. and, and I think it's a no lose situation for the Bulls. And if they get something out of them, that's fantastic. They can show, they can say to all of us, "Take that. We found our max player. We found an all star, and no one else in the league was going to give this guy a chance. And we took a flyer and we got him." But on the basketball side of it, it doesn't really mesh with what they have put together in that starting five because the most ideal small forward you would have would be a 3 and D guy who his primary objective on the court is to play defense, to take pressure off of Levine and right. Markkanen, and that you stand in the corner and you hit the open shots that get to you because the ball's going to be going through the two guards and the two post players and Carter and Markkanen. So I'm not quite sold on the fit, but again, it's a no-lose situation for the Bulls. Yeah, the one thing that I... Um you know, I have a big problem with all of and all NBA players when I hear that they're not good defensive players. And I know, I know you've heard this before because I was ranting about it the other day. Is that defenses just want to and hustle? And if these guys are great offensive players, if they wanted to become better defensive players, they could. They could work on it. Yeah. That's something that Fred Hoiberg's going to have to figure out. Uh, you know, are you going to run zones? What are you going to do? How are you going to? You know, your matchups are going to be. Um, he's going to have to do that. Constantly, I don't know who the defensive uh, guru is on the Bulls coaching staff if they have one, um, but they're going to have to. They're going to have their hands full because Zach Levine's not a defense, a great defensive player. Uh, Larry Markinen, you know, you're bringing in Wendell Carter, who's really good. You know, shot blocker. We've seen that just from what at least he's built to be a good, you know, rim protector. We'll we'll wait and see. Hopefully that's the case because apparently if you're going to have bad defenders, you're going to need a good rim protector. Sure. So I, I just am eager that if listen, um, Jabari Parker's getting a chance. He's going to be playing in front of his home crowd. He's going to be playing in his hometown. I got a feeling he's going to do everything he can do to become the the best player he can be. And that's all that's all you can hope for. And hopefully that's on both sides of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And and Fred, you're right on about the defensive side of this because even though we've seen some good defensive play from Wendell Carter Jr. in the summer league, uh, he's still a rookie. Yeah. And usually the defensive side of it, it takes a little bit of time, especially if you're on the court with guys on the perimeter rim running because they're just blown by Levine and, and Parker. Yeah on the three-point line, and then you have to cover for them on every single possession. It's going to be tough. I, I assume what will probably happen, and uh, maybe I'm wrong about it, but I'm guessing that Carter's not going to start for the Bulls at the start of the season. It's going to be Lopez. Uh-huh. So you're going to have Lopez playing defense in the middle, which will help, but then you're going to bring off the bench Bobby Portis and uh, Carter together, uh, kind of like a Bash Bros type thing. They'll, right. they'll come out there and run the second unit. Um, and it, it, it's just an interesting fit because he's going to need the ball in his hands as well. Is there? Well, if you look at the starting five, won't the ball be in the hands of Dunn and Levine sure. and then Marketing? Hopefully, you yeah. know he's getting the majority of the touches. Like I, it just in my mind, I'm not quite sure how Jabari fits. I get that you'll probably play some three, four pick and roll, right? Uh, but it, it's just an interesting collection of players. But I mean. If, it, Bulls fans, we're going to go to the phones, 312-332-3776. I would think for the most part, Bulls fans, bringing a guy in that they know and they've seen and they know about his injuries, and um, I think they're more excited today than they were yesterday about what's going to happen to the Bulls this season. And I, I, you know, Pax, and there's a comment in the paper about how, you know, they don't ever want to go through what they did last year again. No. And as a fan, you don't ever want to have to go through that again. Let's go to the phones, 312-332-3776. Jesse at the bottom of the hour. First, let's go to Westchester and Brandon. You're on ESPN 1000. 
thanks for taking my call, guys. Happy Sunday. I am happy and elated. I'm going to make my case for Jabari Parker. All you haters are talking about defense. How many players in the league are two-way players? You only can name three that are awesome. Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and uh, Kawhi Leonard. 80% of the guys in the NBA can't play one-on-one defense. It's a team defense. It's a scheme. It's a, it's a team thing that's set precedent by a coach like Brad Stevens. It's all about help and rotating defense. If you take some of these guys, you put them in open space, they would get killed going left or right. Jabari Parker right now is the best score the boys have on their team. He's the best score flat out that they have on their team. It's a great move, a great pickup for a one-year deal with an option. I take that all day. And one more thing what people are not saying, he was on his way back last year, and he was frustrated because they didn't give him the minutes. For as great of a player, I'm going to say it again, a great of a player that Giannis is, Giannis is very hard to play with. And nobody has brought that up. He's very difficult to ball with. He's a ball hog. He puts his head down every single time and goes straight to the rim. He doesn't look to pass the ball unless he's in trouble with a double team or the shot clock. But people need to bring that up, how difficult Giannis is to play with. Ball out, Jabari. Okay. Look. Brandon, right. Brandon he's, out, we appreciate the All goal. Right. He's pretty good, though, Giannis, isn't he? Uh, yeah, you know, he that's what yeah. a lot of the players in the NBA, I mean. He's only the best player in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. He's tough to play with, though. Well, I mean, just like LeBron. LeBron's really tough to play with, Fred. He's only the best player of this generation. Well, I would, I would to be to, to Brandon's point though. I would think that LeBron has probably a lot more assists than uh, than uh, Giannis does, right? Because Giannis probably doesn't pass the ball to anybody. Can we uh, can we address this? Uh, listen, Chicago, uh, this city. I mean, my my God. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, I'm so annoyed and frustrated, Fred, based on, uh, listen, you got to play both ends of the floor. And if you watch the finals, if you've watched the playoffs, what teams do is they hunt. They hunt out the bad defenders. And I get that it's a t- defense is a team-oriented yes, thing. Uh-huh. But the thing that most people uh, watch basketball, they just watch for the points per game. And they, they judge every player based on their points per game. So this guy's a good player because he has 15 points per game. This player's a good player. He'll be an all-star because he scored 20 points per game. Guys, you got to watch both ends of the floor. And if teams see Levine and Parker both on the floor, not only will they be hunting one of the two at all times, putting them in pick and rolls, Mm -hmm. but having both of them, do you not foresee a shooting guard, small forward combination, running a pick and roll, so then you're mixing both of them into the defensive side of it. You know what I mean? You're now negating Carter. Now Dunn is not even in the play. you got to play both sides. So, like, I get it. It's a team thing. And, yes, he can improve with more effort. But at this point in his career, teams exploit Jabari Parker on the defensive end. That's it. That's it. Now, yeah. again, if you want to be a Jabari Parker fanboy, go, go for it. Enjoy. Yeah, that's uh, fine. And, There'll and, be a lot of them, I'm sure. Yeah, that's, for sure. And yeah. I think it's a good deal for the Chicago Bulls. I agree. I will take that deal. I think it makes a lot of sense for the Bulls going forward. And now their summer league is over. They lost 72-66 to Detroit yesterday. Antonio Blakely, I'm telling you, 24 points. Chandler Hutchison good. getting the ball, going length of the court in a slam dunk, and Wendell Carter, six Point sixteen boards and two block shots. We come back. We're going to San Diego. We're waking Jesse up early, talking some Cubs baseball here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. 
Oh, welcome back in. Cubs are in San Diego wrapping up the first half of the season. I, you know, I just wish the All-Star game would be played at the halfway point so we didn't have to clarify that actually it's not the halfway point. They're 54 and 38, but they are 16 games over. That's a season high. They have a game and a half lead in the division over Milwaukee. Milwaukee has lost seven of their last 10. The Cubs are uh, playing well. They've got John Lester going to the bump today. So you're expecting a win when Lester goes out there against San Diego. That will be, uh, just think about it, 17 games over. They'd be 55 and 38. It's very, very good going into the break. And um, and all there is is question marks, right? What's going to happen with the pitching staff? Are they going to make any deals? We'll talk about all that and more when, if we get a chance to talk with our guy, Jesse Rogers. Yeah, hey, you, you think Jesse's going to blow us off this morning? Well, no, I mean, wait, He'll be with us before 12, I can he, guarantee. He's our guy. Yeah. Wait, Jesse's out in San Diego. Oh, oh, are yeah. you saying that maybe he thinks uh, 9.30 Pacific time? He could He could think that. Which would so. be 11.30, so then we have to have Friedel and Jesse on at the same time? Dueling, uh, dueling San Diegans. That's fine. Yeah, so we can do that. Last night, the Cubs were homer happy. The big right. If he did, I don't know, might have been out cold. Half in the air to deep center. Jankowski back at the wall. It's gone. And the Cubs on the board. It's 2-1. to one. His 11th. Oh, and they weren't done. In the air to deep left. Myers back. damage. Uh, you look at his uh, his home runs, and a lot of them have come 0-0, and a number of them on 3-1. He likes to ambush. He also works likes to work counts, get into hitters counts. That's... You know what else he likes to do? He likes to hit the ball to center field, and he likes to hit it the other way, and Kyle Schwarber's been doing a lot of that as a result. Schwarber with 18 home runs, but this guy, Javi, he's got 19. The 0-1 from Hughes. Hit in the air out of the deep right. Back at the wall is Jankowski. That ball's gone. Three-run jack for Baez. And they've broken it wide open. He's knocked in five tonight. Yeah, Baez with five RBIs. Highlights courtesy ABC7 last night. And uh, it was 6-2 to two at one point. And I said, that's enough. I I, I got <laughs> to get up tomorrow. I can't hang. So I, I, I got up this morning and I uh, I saw the final score was 11-6. to six. I said, okay, that's good. I went to bed. They didn't, they didn't uh, lose anything. They didn't blow anything. Um, Jed Hoyer. Uh, says that the Darvish status, when he's going to pitch, where he's going to pitch, how long he's going to pitch, it won't change. The Cubs look for a starter as we approach the trade deadline. We're 16 days away from the trade deadline, Chris. Two years ago, they got uh, Chapman from New York for Gleyber Torres. Mm-hmm. Last year, they got Quintana from the White Sox for Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease, by the way, plays in the Futures game today in D.C. along with uh, Luis Basabi. Uh, that's on later on today, I think, on the MLB Network. Um, so the question is going to be, what are they going to do today? Or what are they going to do this year, the Cubs, with 2018 rolling around? You had Hendricks, who pitched better yesterday. Nice. He had a nice game last outing. This one wasn't nearly as long. Five innings, 102 pitches, five hits, two runs. He gave up a homer, a two-run shot in the first inning. Um, but he's now 6-8 and eight on the season. Walked nobody. That's good. Had some control. But uh, it still seems that Jesse keeps mentioning a lefty bullpen guy, but it looks like they may still look for another starter, a four or five starter. And that would make sense because what you've 
seen from Chatwood to this point, you're not sold that he can really uh, be the guy to carry you all the way to the playoffs. Or if you have to use him in the playoffs, you wouldn't feel comfortable as a Cubs fan. And Mike Montgomery, even though he's been outstanding, I think based on um, what he's done to this point in his career, don't you assume that at some point he'll kind of drop off if you continue to have to use him the way you have as a starter? Well, so, yeah, because he doesn't have that yeah, reputation of being sure, a starter right. for that so, long. So, yeah. you know, whatever you get from you, Darvish, whenever he comes back, which we don't know, uh, it's up in the air whether or not you have more than three solid starters to go into a playoff series with, and that's why they still need a starter to get them there. Because even though they're a game and a half up on the Brewers, I'm not sold that this Brewers team is going to go away. I think they're going to hang around, and this is going to be a tight race all the way till the end. Yeah, I think it could be. Uh, the Brewers are likely going to do something. You Darvish is quoted as saying, Instead of tolerating the pain and getting used to it, I think it's important to prevent any of this happening in the future. Now, when you read a quote like that from you, Darvish, do you think he's going? it's going to be a lot longer before you see him on the mound uh, because he doesn't want to put pitch with any pain? He wants to be completely pain-free before he goes to the mound? Or do you think, uh, you know, two weeks into the, the um, second half we get a chance to see him? It's a fascinating quote because, uh, in my mind, the first thing I thought of was off-season. Right, because don't you uh, build up your body to then not be injured in the off season to get your body right? Yeah. Like how? Okay, so if he gets healthy, then does he need a period of time to then make sure he's preventing said injury before he gets back before out? Before he gets there? back out there, I know. Is yeah. that is that a is that a uh, strange way to think about that, well, or I, is it more yeah. of like when he's out there, he's just going to take precaution that if anything kind of doesn't feel right. Uh, second inning, I, I got to come out because I feel a, a little tweak. I feel a little uh, pull in my abdomen or, you know, like yeah. it's I I think that there's two different ways you can kind of look at that quote. Yeah, and it, it just makes me think that he wants to be 100 percent before he goes back out to the hill. And uh, from what we understand, he's not near there yet. So we will uh, talk more Cubs. You want to jump in? 312-332-3776. Everybody, and rightfully so, everybody calls me the old man. And I got my old my old man uh, way of thinking when I talk to ba- about baseball and stuff. And so many of the other guys out there are analytics guys and things like that. And that's fine. And, you know, there's a good way to combine the analytics and, and everything else. Um, Joe Madden has been using Baez as an example that the game isn't all in the numbers and the analytics. Here's what Madden said about Javi, who, again, five RBIs last night. Javi's got, like, ridiculous numbers. He's the third player since the first All-Star game in 1933 mm-hmm. to have 19 homers, 71 RBIs, and 18 stolen bases. 71 RBIs is amazing. The other two were Cesar Cedeno in 1974 and Dante Bichette in 1994. But here's what Madden said. Madden said he's playing the game of baseball I don't think he has an analytical bone in his body. And you know the funny thing is? The players, for the most part, shouldn't worry about the analytics except for except for on-base percentage, I think. Okay. You, I, I, well, you know, I, think, I guess a lot of guys are going to worry about their launch angle and their speed, bat speed. You know, you, have you seen those commercials with uh, Carlos Correa? He puts that thing at the end of his yeah. bat. He's able to check his it's called blast. I think it's called. Sure, and, and it tells you how fast you're, right. you're hitting. Yeah, how how fa- how good you're, how fast you're swinging, what your yep. launch angle is, and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of players who, and I don't think Javi's one of those. 
Uh, I don't think Javi's worried about his launch angle. I think Javi, Javi is just see ball, hit ball. I tell the story that I, the first time I saw Javi was that he was playing a game in uh, Kane County. I think he was playing for Peoria, playing in Kane County. And I went out to see him, and the first time up, he, he ripped, and I mean ripped, like a first pitch double down the left field line, standing on second base, got there in no time at all. And he, his swing has been the same since. Yeah. He just, he's a, you know, a grip it and rip it kind of guy. And it's working for him. I think the, the, the 19 homers is impressive at this point. The 71 RBIs is crazy, I think. It That's is. It's amazing how many RBIs he has. Yeah. Especially being uh, bounced around the lineup, too. You know, for a good portion of the first half of the season, he was batting eighth, seventh. Yeah. Right. Like, and then he's batting leadoff. And then, you know, Joe puts them all over the place. I, you know, the analytics conversation as a player, I would think that the one area that I find interesting that guys just ignore is the spray chart because the defensive scheming against hitters now with the shifting is so uh, advanced and everyone's doing it for almost every single player who comes up to the dish. I, as a batter, would want to know what they're doing. And I, I, and as we were talking earlier, opportunity, right. I would, I would embrace that they know that I am primarily a pull hitter. And if I go a little bit the other way, I'm guaranteed to get on base. Right. I'm guaranteed to get a hit. And, and we see Schwarber do it. We see Rizzo do it. And we see Hobby Bias, do it a lot. I mean, Hobby Bias just hits anywhere yeah. because like you said, he's just swinging and, yeah. and wherever the pitch is going, he's going to hit it hard wherever it goes. And we saw an opposite field home run yesterday from uh, Schwarber and, I, I think as a player, if you implement that, I think that's more important to me than maybe launch angle. But you would also say many players are just concerned about the home run numbers because that has to do with the bottom line of their contract right. in the future. They get paid at the end, yeah. and it's not necessarily going to get them uh, uh, paid if they're not. And, you know, like Hobby plays baseball as if he doesn't care what his end contract will be. He right. plays as if he's going to have as much fun and try to win every game at every single moment to then whatever happens after that is just icing on the cake. Well, and you knew he had the swag when you saw, saw him the first time and he had the MLB logo yeah. tattooed to the back of his neck. Sure. Okay. You initially knew he was a, he, and when you first saw it, you, you, you know, some people may have, you know, may have said, well, that, you know, the That's guy's cocky. very cocky, boom, boom, yeah. boom. And then you see him play, but you see him and he works, he works hard. Now, everybody, people were getting back to me the other day on Twitter and they were saying things to me other than other pe things that people have been saying to me on Twitter. Uh, they were saying, well, now will you stop criticizing him for, for not hustling? I said, well, no, not necessarily. And nobody should. If there's a play where he doesn't hustle, such as the play um, in S San Francisco, yeah. where he went and tracked the ball down the, left, the right field line and was probably taunting the runner to go, and then the runner did, and the runner scored. Um, you know, there are certain things, you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. When they don't, you look bad. And you got to point those out. You should always point those out. You shouldn't give a guy a break because the rest of the time he does well. You should you should call out each one. That's what we do. We, I mean, if you're a baseball fan, you call out each and every one of the guys' mistakes because you want him to get better and work on those things. And I would think the baseball fans do too. I don't think Javi's going to do that again. Not no. after he saw what happened with that guy in San Francisco. The guy comes all the way around and scores. It was crazy. And in uh, was it against the Giants in 2016 when a hobby fly ball? He kind of watched it and he was then he didn't get the second base. I, Is that what been. it was or something? There there was a conversation about his hustle in those playoffs, and they went on to win 
or to be the share MVP against the Dodgers, and they went on to win the World Series, and no one cares. Yeah. But I remember a moment in 2016 where people were just losing their mind because Javi watched a fly ball out of the out of the box. Now, okay, you know, it, it's such a baseball thing for people to really go nuts about hustling and effort when you watch football, and football is almost all effort. Right. You can't not have effort and play no. football in and the NFL well. or in college no. football, right? And in basketball, if you don't have effort... You're Carmelo Anthony, right? You're the last guy up the floor, and and everyone points out like, ah, that guy's just not very good yeah. anymore. But like in baseball, sometimes guys can skirt by without giving maximum effort. So when you see a guy like Baez, who usually gives max effort, not give the effort, I think it's worthy of calling him out. I I have no issue with you calling him out for that, Fred, because the play in San Francisco where he held onto the right. ball and they allowed the guy to score. That run could have been the game, right? Sure. And and it was. And the way that game unfolded, that was that one thing. Watching the ball out of the box, maybe you get the second, they hit you in, boom, Cubs can win that game, right? Like it all matters. And I think the you know, fact you that- up the other you're brought up the other sports, which makes it interesting, because if you think about it, in those sports you have to hustle a lot more. Sure. In baseball, you basically have to hustle when the ball's hit to you. Yeah, right. Like, like <laughs> or when you're at bat. Yeah, That's it. Yeah, the other times you're standing around. In, in my head, what I was like trying to get back to is that in baseball, there's almost all no hustle. Yeah. And it's just those few moments where you actually have to give max effort. Right. And when you don't, it's so obvious. And I know I was watching Sports Center the other night and like Bryce Harper, I guess, uh, didn't hustle out of the box. That's right. And uh, ground ball double play. His manager's going to talk to him. And it's a whole big thing in DC about Bryce Harper not hustling out of the box. And it's like, and I just thought to myself, is like, you never really point out LeBron the fact that when he blocked Terry Rozier, he stood, he stood and there. He just stared Terry Rozier down for, do. for six minutes <laughs> yeah. while he stood on the other end of the court. Like, like I mean, it, it well, just. Did you hear what? Did you hear what Harper said? No. They asked him about it the next day, and he kind of looked at a guy. He goes, "Really?" After I hit the ball 108 miles an hour, and he just kind of <laughs> let it go. He didn't, he wouldn't even go any further. Well, you know oh, what? Man. It doesn't matter how hard you hit the ball. If you're not running, that's what the fans are going to see. Yes. And, and right now, you know what the fans see from uh, Bryce Harper? Right now, the fans see uh, a 214 average, 365 on base, and a 468 slugging. And he's got 23 homers, 54 RBIs. You think those look good. But you know what? There's no way he's getting $400 million. There's no way he should get $300 million. I don't know how that's where that's going to come from. Uh, we'll keep talking Cubs. You want to jump in? 312-332-3776. It's Chris Black, Fred Hubner, the uh, France and Croatia game. Not far away. And, of course, if you follow our guy, David Kaplan, he'll be back Wednesday, I think, here on ESPN 1000. He is in Croatia for the World Cup. He's got his Croatia uh, shirt on. Uh, his wife, lovely wife, Mindy, has a Croatia jersey on. They cannot be more excited about the start of this game. Is he at a watch party? He is. Uh, let's see here. Because we're watching the game. We're watching the pregame show right here. We're about 13 minutes from the start of the final. And uh, they're showing big watch parties in Paris where people, thousands and thousands, like 100,000 people in this square in Paris, they show people going nuts in Croatia. They've got yeah. flares out already. He's got a Moscow mule in front of him and a nice table with a pool behind him. So I don't think he's at a watch party right now. Are, are there other people in, in the picture? In the picture, or? there's nobody else in the picture. Maybe there, a couple no, people in the pool. There's no crowd. There's no, no. Uh -uh. anyone at the table next there's to There's one person. They took the picture, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> we come back. We'll talk some more Cubs. We've got uh, some Bears talk coming up top of the hour because the Bears get underway in just four days. They report to Bourbon A. 312-332-3776 right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. 
Well, welcome back in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, Adam Abdallah not here today. He'll be back next Sunday. And uh, we'll keep any up to date on the World Cup final. France against Croatia. Yurko somewhere. Do you think he's drinking already? Do you think he's waiting until the first goal? Or do you think he's uh, just on pins and needles? Well, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, Fred. And uh, I think uh, Yurko probably is uh, pacing himself, as any good soccer player would. It's going to be 90 minutes. So yeah. you got to get, get that slow burn going, at Fred. At least 90 minutes. We could leave here at noon and not have a winner. Yeah, they have the trophy on the pedestal uh, out on the field right now. And the teams have yet to come out of the tunnel. As we're approaching the start of the World Cup final. Yep. Very cool. Players are all ready to come out, so we'll see how things go. Last night, the players came out. Three home runs for the Chicago Cubs as they knocked off the Padres' final of 11-6. to Hap, Schwarber, and Baez all go deep. Hendricks gets the win. And Joe Madden talks about uh, the approach of Javi when he goes to the games. Another nice performance. I was superlatives. We're running out of them. Um, I just, I, I like the way he's going about his business. He's playing the game right, playing the game hard, playing the, the game uh, smartly. He's, he's, just, he's just playing the game of baseball. Um, I don't think he has an analytical bone in his body. Yeah, that's the quote we uh, talked about earlier. And uh, Javi is, he's just out there, you know, balling. And that's what that's what you love to see these young guys doing. There's a lot of young guys in the league that are doing this. You've got guys like Mookie Betts and, you know, the Boston's got a few of these guys. And uh, these are the guys that people want to see. And I'm sure you'll see some of them at the All-Star game. Baez talked about his approach, his first half. And again, I mentioned his 71 RBIs. That's tied for the most in the National League. Only one player in baseball has more. That's J.D. Martinez. He has 80. But here's Javi on uh, his first half. This time is the, the time that, that I keep warming up. And, and, you know, obviously my adjustments depends depends on what's going on. But, you know, this 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 year I've been I've been consistent with, with my work, with my with my routine. Being here early, I'm the I'm the, the type of guy that I like to take my time during my routine. So I like to get here. I like to get here early, and you know, there's, there's already a few people here. So um, you know, working working is I think is, is the thing that that is, is, is been getting me here and and doing so good is this first half. Yeah, Javi, is, he's playing just tremendous baseball, and it helps when your team is 16 games over 500. He's a big reason that they're 54 and 38 with one game to play before the All Star break. Well, Fred, where would the Cubs be if Javi didn't have this first half? Yeah, you know they have not gotten the normal Chris Bryant performance uh, from the former MVP. Nope. And however you want to slice it, I heard Lennon JD last night uh, spinning the positive yarn on a uh, Anthony Rizzo, but as of That's today, be hard. As of today, he's 10th on the team in war. Uh-huh. Uh, these are the names that are ahead of him. Baez, one, Schwarber, Contreras, Zobras, Bryant, Russell, Hayward, Almora, Hap, Rizzo. So, I mean, I they were spinning. Hey, uh, he started off cold. He got a little hot in, in the month of May and then started to cool off again. But it's we're at the second half of the season, yep. and all players wipe it clean, and now we go towards the second half. But... To me, as a Cub fan, I would be very concerned with what you've seen from Anthony Rizzo. I get that the back of the baseball card usually doesn't lie, but this player, for some reason, which no one can really point to, has really struggled this season. And I think that's uh, something to point to. You don't get the usual Chris Bryant, but you have Javi Baez leading the way. 
playing like the Cubs MVP and a great first half of the season from Kyle Schwarber yep. as well. Yeah, you really do. And Schwarber, hopefully, will continue it. He knew what he needed to do, and he worked his tail off in the offseason. We'll talk some Bears. We'll get back to some Cubs a little bit later on. Nick Friedel's in San Diego. Maybe he can go wake Jesse up uh, <laughs> at, at his hotel uh, a little bit later. We'll talk to Nick around 1130. Dan Weederer from the Tribune will join us. We'll talk some Bears as we come back. It's Chris Black, Fred Huebner here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Welcome back in. World Cup is underway. Chris Black and I are watching. Oh, and we're also talking to you. Yeah, Fred, we're in the third minute. So here's the deal for this uh, hour in the 11 o'clock hour. We'll keep our eyes on the soccer match because if you're driving around, uh, chances are you are not watching something Mm -hmm. if you're driving. And we'll let you know if anyone scores, anything happens in the soccer match. Uh, Right now, 0-0 in the third minute. Yep. You know, I brought up the other day with Eddie Olchek. uh, We're going to talk with Dan Wiederer from the Tribune in a minute or two. the, the sign I saw on the expressway, and since I brought it up, everybody has gotten back to me and said, it's all over the place. I saw it yesterday, too. Yeah. Uh, it says, no texting, no speeding, no ketchup. And, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I'm just looking to see what else that, the, that board's probably going to expand. And with uh, gambling coming hopefully soon to, uh, you know, Chicago and Illinois, and so they can make money and maybe won't be as broken the state as, as we everybody currently is, Um that that'll just say you know don't forget uh, Cubs and Padres Lester let's see was he Lester minus one twenty or something like that yeah so sure. as you're getting ready to make your wagers it's up there because if you're gonna throw no ketchup up there <laughs> I mean come on really I don't know it, it, it's uh, I'd be interested to see what the thought what the thought process was or if the guy that was running the board just said screw it I'm gonna throw no ketchup up I it. saw it yesterday and I almost thought about taking a picture and sending it to you but then I figured we'd probably talk about it today so we would just address it now other people did yeah did other you get a bunch did. of pictures yeah, about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> they go the signs all over the place so I mean you know uh, somebody somewhere along the line had the idea to throw it up there and they put it up and it's uh, it, it's there so uh, the the bull have Jabari Parker. Uh, they are out of the uh, summer league. Uh, they lost yesterday to Detroit, so their summer league is finished. Um, the uh, Cubs are big winners. They've got the Padres again later on today. It is a three ten start. John Lester, who was uh, picked for the All Star game, he said, "You know what? I'd rather pitch on Sunday for the Cubs. Uh, I pitch for the Northsiders, and that's what he's going to do today. Perfect time." And uh, Kyle Hendricks, who the Cubs saw yesterday, I was sitting there watching the game, and at I did not have the sound on, and I saw that they pulled Hendricks after five, and I said, well, why doesn't Joe just leave him in? They had only a three-run lead. I did not realize he was already at 102 pitches. Sure. So so that made complete sense. I was uh, smart. Oh, I was wiser for not tweeting out immediately without knowing the facts there. Um, so that one made sense. But Hendricks is going to be getting the start on Thursday. And from what I understand, the Cubs and the Cardinals are the first team to be playing on Thursday. Uh, everybody else is off till Friday. Uh, after the All-Star game, the Cubs, because they have their makeup game. They have a five-game series with the Cardinals. And um, I don't know if you mentioned it, but uh, they got rid of their manager. Yeah, anything going on in St. Louis <laughs> yeah. uh, overnight? They got rid of their manager. <laughs> yeah, Mike uh, Matheny out. has gone. Yeah, and I think some of that could be, you know, not only uh, you know what their record is and where they stand right now. And the Cardinals right now are 47 and 46. They're seven and a half games back in Milwaukee. I'm sorry, seven and a half games back of the Cubs, six games back of Milwaukee. And um, 
There was a whole thing with Bud Norris yeah. and the way he was dealing with Jordan Hicks. And it turned out that Bud Norris was basically like, uh, he was basically Mike Matheny's guy in the locker room. Yeah. He would let uh, Matheny know how things were working in the locker room. And then if uh, Matheny didn't like it, he would go to the player and uh, try to straighten things out. And um, I don't know how well that went over. It really doesn't go over when you, I think the last two days they got beat by a total of like 17 to three in their last couple of games. And a lot of drama with the St. Louis Cardinals this season. Uh, everything that's happened with Dexter Fowler. Yep. And it's just not the usual Cardinals, uh, you know, Spurs-like ship that's being run down there in St. Louis. You know, San Antonio's been so good for so long, and it seems like they just always kind of figure it out with new faces, even though it's the same organizational philosophy, and it seems like things have kind of gone off the track for St. Louis Cardinals in the last year and a half. Yeah, and it really has, and uh, so he is gone, so they're going to need a new skipper, and the bench coach has taken over, and that's always, you know, the na- first name that pops up all the time uh, this year especially is Joe Girardi, who's sure. sitting in like the MLB studio or where is it? See an MLB or ESPN? I think MLB, MLB. Studios. Yep. And um, you know he's sitting there doing uh, doing commentary and stuff like that on games. So Joe Girardi will land somewhere, and it's probably he's probably enjoying his year off, just you know uh, living in New York, just uh, going on over to their their studios. I think they're in Secaucus. Uh, New Jersey and just going there, doing some, uh, some stints on the TV. Not, doesn't have to worry about traveling all the time and everything. Get a, get a, a year off where he just, just gets to relax before he gets back to the grind. Cause there's no doubt he'll be back as a manager. Is there a better gig in sports than a manager or coach getting paid because yep. he was fired? And getting to do TV work on the side just to kind of kick it around, yeah, right? Don't like, think so. there are thousands and thousands of people in this country trying to make it in sports right. broadcasting. Yet yeah. the former manager, this this guy, the former that, who are still getting paid their millions of dollars yeah. from what they got fired from. Uh-huh. Ah, let me just uh, do a little TV on the side. Like, what a gig! Yeah. That's great. It's tremendous. Absolutely, it happens in football a lot when yeah. a football coach gets fired. John Fox. Right. Yep. John Fox. He takes. He's going to be. He'll be on TV, and uh, so it's it's a wonderful gig. Uh, speaking of John Fox, well, we'll talk about the Bears because they report in just four days. Um, people are going down to Bourbon A. We had uh, Larry Mayer on the other day. Uh, he works for the Bears. He writes for uh, ChicagoBears.com dot com and uh, gearing it all up. A lot of the practices, early morning practice. I want to say eight fifteen down in Bourbon A. So if you're heading out there, make sure you go to the Bears website. You uh, get your tickets, your ticket that way. It's free. You just got to register and uh, go from there. And uh, you may, you know, while you're getting autographs, you may want to save a spot on your autograph page for Dan Weederer from the Tribune as he will be down there along with all the other tons of reporters and uh, scribes as we bring in Dan Weederer. Dan, how are you today? I'm great, and I usually have such a long line of autograph seekers out there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Kyle Long's just sitting there shaking his head. I can't believe they all want Dan Weeder's <laughs> autograph and not mine. Uh, but you know what? You did last year. You showed up every game. I'm sorry. That's kind of a low blow. Wow, that's kind of a low. Fred. That ties me right in. Wow, it gets going me, after Kyle it gets Long. Me right right. In. It gets me right into the Bears conversation, Dan. Uh, <laughs> when you look at Kyle Long. And I actually had him as like fifth or sixth, but I don't know where that came from. I actually had, he was like my sixth question. But since I already jumped in, let's jump right into uh, this year's Bears. Will Kyle Long play more games this year than he doesn't play? I'm going to go yes on that. And I think Kyle is in a good physical state and a good mental state as the Bears report to Bourbon A. Now it's going to be interesting to monitor how they get him to September and, and if he's able to withstand sort of the grind of camp and all of the, the injuries that he's had and all the surgeries that he's had to fix them 
and all the things that have bothered him for the last couple of years are behind him. And so uh, it's going to be up to, to Matt Nagy and his staff to not only get Kyle up to speed, but to, to make sure they're they're taking care of him so that when you know the opening weekend rolls around in September, he's in a really really good state physically. It's been a while since we've seen him there, and we all know how good he can be yep. when he is fully healthy. We, we've talked a lot this offseason about all the weapons the Bears have acquired to help Mitch Trubisky. What do you think about the protection for Mitch Trubisky? How would you grade out the protection heading in the training camp in front of Mitch Trubisky? Well, I would say this, that, that it's more than just the five bodies lining up in front of Trubisky that will account for his protection. It's the system that they put in for Mitch Trubisky, and it's the ways that they are able to spread defenses out. It's the ways they're able to create plays that – rely on Mitch to make quick decisions and get the ball out quickly. And so it's a, uh, there are a lot of moving parts to that question. I think when you're talking about the offensive line specifically, you obviously have some continuity there with Charles Leno, with Bobby Massey, with Cody Whitehair, if Kyle Long is healthy. And then obviously you're going to try to, uh, you know, blend a new guy and James Daniels into the mix right away as fast as possible. I think they're solid up front at full strength and fully healthy. Again, those are, are big asterisks for a team that have had so many injuries and so many guys land on IR over the last few years that that examining the roster at full strength and examining the, the, the roster in what it will reality be as the season unfolds are two different things, and we'll just kind of have to, to watch it play out. Dan Wiederer from the Tribune joining us, talking some Bears who report to uh, Bourbon A this Thursday. And, you know, Dan, uh, ACLs and knee injuries have been the topic of conversation a lot this week with Zach Levine getting his deal and then with the uh, Bulls going and getting Jabari Parker. How healthy can we expect Allen Robinson to be and how healthy will he be going into camp? The Bears are expecting him to be ready to go. And so it's going to be really interesting Thursday afternoon when we get down there to see if he does indeed get the green light and, and is ready to start that first practice when they hit the field on Friday afternoon. We didn't see much at all of Allen Robinson during the spring, and so I think there's a, a, a very sharp curiosity as to how much of his explosion has returned. What does he look like when he gets on the field? How quickly is he building chemistry with Mitch Trubisky? How quickly is he picking up Matt Nagy's offense? Allen Robinson, to me, is the guy that these first two, three weeks of training camp is going to be the most intriguing to watch for all those reasons. He's the, the most expensive gift that Ryan Pace went out and got for Mitch Trubisky this offseason, and, and now it's uh, up to him to prove that he can be sort of this game-changer and this go-to guy in big moments for, for the young quarterback. You know, Jordan Howard has had a lot of workload on his plate the last couple of years. How do you think Matt Nagy will use Howard in this new offense? Yeah, not the same way. I, I would expect there to be more of a, a shared load, and, and the Bears are preaching sort of this versatility within their offense and, and the number of different players and the number of different ways that they're going to try to attack defenses. And so I wouldn't expect Jordan Howard to be a, you know, a 20, 25 carry a game guy. I think he's obviously still very, very talented, very effective, and, and can do a lot of good things within the system that Matt Nagy has. But I would expect Tariq Cohen to be a, a major weapon in both the running game and the passing game. And with the, the way the Bears hope to spread teams out, you're not always even going to have a running back in the backfield on certain plays, whether Trubisky's going out of the gun with you know four or five wide and they're spreading teams out. It'll be very interesting to watch this unfold and see what Matt Nagy's offense really has to offer. And one of the hard parts in this chair is that you understand that Nagy's not going to put his entire offense out for full view during training camp, during the preseason, and that we're really going to have to wait until we get into September and into October to really understand exactly what they're doing with their system and how they're going to go after opposing defense. 
Dan, I was tricked in the offseason last year because I had heard that Jordan Howard had had the eye surgery because there were times when the quarterback was throwing on the ball, he couldn't even see it, and now things were going to be better. And then, was it the first game of the season against Atlanta? He didn't, uh, he couldn't catch a ball. And it struggled throughout the entire season. In this offense, if he can't catch the ball, will there be a time eventually where he's, he's going to be limited in how much they use him? Yeah, absolutely, and that's why you have Tariq Cohen, who has shown that he can be a really good receiver, has shown he can handle a number of different roles and can help you in that regard. Jordan Howard insists once again that he is going to be better catching the football than he has been in the past. That's, for me, it's one of those long lists that the Bears have of prove it to me and then I'll believe what you're saying. Uh, it's a long list, believe me, and Jordan Howard's hands are, are, are right on that list and near the top of, of, of show it to us. Prove that you can be a reliable pass catcher with your hands. Prove that you can be a weapon that this offense can rely on, and, and we'll go from there. Can Adam Shaheen become the number one tight end for this offense this season? Can you develop into that? Well, certainly with the money that they paid Trey Burton, you understand that, that, that he is going to be a very prominent part of their passing game and certainly the guy that right out of the gate is going to figure into this offense more so. As it relates to Shaheen, continuity was a problem down the stretch of last season. It was it was right when he started to sort of get his footing, right when he started to get confidence, when he started to get more comfortable. Had a, a nice game in Cincinnati, if you remember, in that, that big win that the Bears had in December, mm-hmm. and then didn't really play the rest of the year and, and wasn't able to build on what was a, a strong performance. And so Shaheen, look, is another guy that's a, a second-round pick, a high-profile guy that, that – if you're Ryan Pace and you want this thing to turn a corner quicker rather than later, you need guys like that to reach their potential soon. And so the Bears are going to have to figure it out with him. They're going to have to figure it out quickly. As I said, with Burton there, he's going to have a little bit of a security blanket, and the Bears have other options at that position, which is now suddenly pretty deep. But Shaheen is, is a guy that, that they have to have pan out. It's a, you can't have day one and day two draft picks sort of fizzle by the wayside and think that you're going to make up any ground in what has been a – very loaded division for the last few years. Yeah, Dan, and and the thing that kind of was like rumored out there last year is that he had trouble f- picking up Fox's offense and what the Bears were doing last year. So, like, is, is it a concern that he may have trouble picking up Nagy's more complicated, uh, sophisticated offense this season? Right now, I don't think they're worried about the, the sort of football intellect part of things as much as it's just getting you, your, your brain to react quicker right and being able to, to to be a split second quicker with your decisions when you're playing that position at the nfl level and there are so many different looks that you're going to get from an opposing defense that determines it you know when, when you're blocking for example where are you going and, and, and who are you accountable for and so those are things that as a rookie can sometimes make your brain work too much and, and take away some of your reactionary instinctive stuff you got to understand shaheen came out of ashland right and so so wasn't exposed to a lot of high level football and so there was a learning curve in his rookie year and he's going to have to get over that and, and become the player that, that Ryan Pace believes that he can be and again you know that's another one if you're making this list wait and see let's see what happens and, and when we get into September let's revisit where where we think Adam Sheen is. Uh, Dan were you talking to Prince Mukamara face to face when he mentioned a 10 pick season or was it on the phone or was it a conference call? No, it was, it was, yeah it was face to face okay in the last I think it was mini camp last week of the offseason program. Okay, um, he he was looking at you straight face when he said because he has he has I mean he has seven in seven seasons now I, you know I, more power to he him. hasn't had one in three years right <laughs> I mean I mean you didn't you didn't like I mean you know spit something up or or smile or anything when he said that did you 
I mean, I gave, I gave him a look. He understood that I was very skeptical of that prediction. And as he said, to sort of qualify it, that, look, I'm just thinking big right now, and I'm setting my goals high, and I want to be a big-time game-changer in this defense. And that's why I give Prince a little bit of slack on that prediction. I think we all know he's not getting 10 interceptions this year. If he gets half the way there, he's probably going to be in line for a Pro Bowl invitation. The, the point is, is that, that he really wants to be a guy that this defense can rely on had a very solid season a year ago, probably underrated on a defense that, that played pretty well the whole year. And so the Bears need him to, to take his game up one more step and be a guy that gets those takeaways and becomes a game changer. And, and I think it's for Prince, it's more about sort of instilling this mentality on a young and developing defense that, look, we're going to go after this thing and we're going to set our goals high and we're going to pursue them and, and we'll take it from there. The 10 picks, it's not going to happen. Let's all just cut the case right now. And we'll Come on, Dan. Prince isn't going to have 10 picks in 2018. But, but I, like I say, I give him, I give him the, 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 a little, I cut him a little bit of slack just because I, I know where he's coming from when he says those things. Well, and the one thing is, I mean, there were times during the season last year where the other, the, the quarterbacks and the offense would go towards Fuller as opposed to Wamukamara, correct? And so he did have, a, he did have a decent season last year. He had a very good season, and, and, and you're correct in noting that because he, he was very reliable with what they asked him to do, and that they're going to need him to continue to be that way. And, and, and so I think the Bears feel like they found a little bit of a, of a gem in free agency there and, and hope that he can take his game up uh, another level. And I know that Prince is excited, and I know the Bears are excited that there's continuity within that defensive system and that when they hit the ground in Bourbon A, they can hit it running, you know, and, and that there's not this whole – new, okay, we're implementing a new system, we're, we're getting used to new coaches, we're getting used to new players. Everything there on that side of the ball is about continuity, and it should be a, a great source of security for, for the, the Bears in the, as a whole, and, and obviously for Matt Nagy as a first-time coach to have that on the defensive side of the ball. You know, France, by the way, in case you're interested, France has scored. They have a one nothing lead over Croatia. I know it was a free kick by Griezmann, but I think it went off the head of a Croatian player. Yeah, I think Modric. Uh, so it's an own goal, one nothing France in the 19th minute. All right, Dan, back to football uh, that we care about, the NFL. Uh, not that we <laughs> don't care the, about the the, the, yeah. the World Cup. Fred and I are both uh, enthralled with this World Cup match. But, oh, it's uh, actually an own goal off on Mandzukic. Who oh, Mandzukic? Yeah, okay. Mandzukic, yeah. All right, so... Um, if you look at the Bears' defense last year, much more improved from the year before that. You have Vic Fangio coming back. In my opinion, if the Bears are going to compete for a playoff spot, they have to have a top-10 defense. How good can this defensive unit be this season? It can be really good, and I think we've seen Vic's time here that it's made strides each year and, and that, that, that you're starting to see a defense that's putting the pieces together. Well, now... For me, the next step is finding the game changers. One of the interesting things of the last six, seven months has been the Brian Urlacher Hall of Fame induction because it's forced people like me to go back and watch footage of the Bears when their defense was really, really good in 2006 and 2001 and a lot of years in between. And you look at those defenses and you say, man, those are nothing like what we've seen out of the Bears in recent years. Even with the improvements they've made, they haven't had those game changers, right? And so that's it. That's what you've got to find. You've got to find big-time game changers. I think Leonard Floyd is a guy who's got to take a huge step forward this year. Obviously, Roquan Smith is a top-ten pick, another guy that needs to get up to speed really quickly and become an impact playmaker. And so to go from good to great, you better find two, three, maybe four guys 
that on a regular basis can can swing games with big plays, and that's what they've been lacking in recent years. You know, injuries are always, uh, they always jump up and bite teams. It seems like the last couple of years the Bears have really been bitten hard, I mean, especially on that defensive side with their linebackers, with their li- the guys on the uh, defensive line and all that stuff. There's really nothing you can do with that, but slowly but true, I mean, a lot of people will say you can't blame injuries, you got to have depth. Is, is depth something that this Bears team finally is starting to build a little bit with the draft picks they have and some of the deals they've made? Yeah, I think in parts. I think in parts of the roster, you look at the depth and you say, "Boy, that's that's pretty solid." I think we mentioned tight end. I think inside linebacker with Roquan and Danny Trevathan starting, and obviously Nick Lukowski and, and another draft pick uh, Iggy <laughs> behind them on the depth chart. I think they've got some depth there. I think they're trying to build some of that in the secondary. I think the running back stable was pretty good as they had in the training camp, and so there is a little bit of that. The injuries are a problem, and they've got to get that under control because they, they, they promised us a year ago at this time that they were going to get it rectified, and they didn't. And injuries derailed them once again in 2017. And so, again, prove it. You know, Prove that you can get your, your injury situation under control. They, they've overhauled the, the training staff. They, they've got a new strength and conditioning staff in as well. And, and so all of these tweaks have been made, but what do they mean? We don't know yet, and, and the Bears better figure out ways to stay healthy because it's been way too big of a problem the last couple of years. If we take a look at the rest of the division, heading into training camp, are the Vikings by far the best team in the division? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think you look at the way that that team played a year ago, the way their defense continued to come on, and now obviously they added a quarterback that they believe very strongly in and, and invested accordingly with Kirk Cousins, that they should be the favorite Obviously, anytime Aaron Rodgers is at the head of your team, you got a chance. And the Packers have proven that for years and years and years, even as the rest of the roster has sort of kind of crumbled around him. So the Bears are looking at a very steep climb just to get back to, to a relevant status within their own division. And so I know that, that as we sit here in the middle of July, the, the, the hope of change has, has blown through Chicago and people are allowing themselves to, to dream big and have grand visions of a, a playoff chase. But, uh, this division is still really tough. The Bears' schedule this year is not easy, and, and so I think folks need to just be very realistic about the, the, the baby steps that, that need to be made before grand dreams can come into the, to, to focus. Another minute or so with Dan Wiederer from the Tribune. Uh, Dan, you've been around this organization and their coaching staffs for a little while, and uh, what have you seen from the OTAs and the mini camps and things from Matt Nagy and their staff that you like, and what is it that you need to see when they go to Bourbon A to uh, not necessarily impress you, but show that they're going in the right direction? Well, look, I think that the first thing you know from the, the, the off-season program is that there was buy-in, right? And if you don't get that as a first-time head coach, you're playing from way behind. And so that's almost a prerequisite to getting going. But I think Matt Nagy has his team's attention. I think he has an energy that is contagious. I think he has a vision for how he wants to play football that guys believe in. And I think they're just going to have to use the grind of this next six, seven weeks to – to build on that momentum and, and make progress as a football team. It's, it's no easy task putting in a new offense with a second-year quarterback with so many new pieces around him to, to expect them to, to sort of be a finished product right away. And so they have to take advantage of every day. Brian Urlacher getting into the Hall of Fame gets them the Hall of Fame game, which gets them to training camp seven days earlier than they ordinarily would have. And so every single day counts. And so that, that, that energy and that momentum has to be built on, and the Bears have to, to take advantage of this, of this grind that is really just – you know, a lot of minutia yeah. in the football world over the next six or seven weeks. We know your focus for the uh, Tribune is on the Chicago Bears, but is there anyone you have your eyes uh, kind of on as we head to train camp that you're like, this is a team I'm interested to see how they pan out this season? 
I'm skeptical that the Rams are going to be the world beater that everyone is sort of predicting them to be. They made a lot of moves, obviously, in the offseason to bring in high-profile, big names to an already good playoff-caliber roster. And there's sort of this, this, this foregone conclusion that the Rams are just going to take off and, and be that 14-win team that, that, that takes over the NFC. I still need to see more. Sean McVay got a lot of credit as the coach of the year last year. I always like to see a second year out of a guy like that to see if the teams around the league catch up and figure out what he's doing and can compensate. And so, for me, that's a team that I've got circled. I have this, you know, if you're betting the over-unders on win totals, that's one that, that you might want to just take a look at, at going on the under just because I, I I, there's just something about it that I'm a little skeptical of. You guys can probably play this tape back to me in January when they they won 15 <laughs> games and won the division, and tell me how stupid I was. But no, I, we'll I think it's a good. Goes. I think that might be a good pick because usually teams that spend a lot in free agency usually it doesn't work out. So if you go out and you spend and you make all these offseason moves, that doesn't usually turn into winning a division, winning a championship. You know. And do we know yet if Jared Goff is a All Pro caliber quarterback? Absolutely not. And so the questions at the, at the most important position as well, and we'll see where they go. The Bears get to play them this year, so we'll get a first-hand look at that as well. Yeah, as you mentioned, they do not have an easy schedule. The Bears' uh, interesting home schedule throughout the course of the season. Dan, appreciate it as always. I'm sure we'll bother you again sometime soon. Happy to do it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Dan. Dan Dan Wiener from the Chicago Tribune. We come back. My MLB notebook, and we have found Jesse Rogers. Oh, yeah? Yes, we have found Jesse. He will join us. We'll talk some more Cubs baseball and uh, my MLB notebook right now. I thought there was going to be a a PK with uh, dragging down Mandzukic in the box, but they didn't do that. So it's still one nothing France so far in the uh, 27th minute. We'll keep you up to date with the World Cup final as that goes. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, we're here till noon on ESPN. ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. And the ball driven to left center. Sousa. He's got it! He's got it! It's a no-hitter! Fred goes around the horn. It's a triple play for the Sox. Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Fred's Baseball Notebook. Oh, and before the baseball notebook, we'll have to update you somewhere. Yurko's going crazy because Perisic has scored the tying goal. It is 1-1, Croatia and France in the World Cup. They are in the 33rd minute. Looks like a one heck of a game. And um, we will see how it plays out. They Perisic could- scored in the uh, 28th minute, Fred. It's 1-1. Uh, possession's been mostly Croatia. 60% possession. Uh, it was a set piece that was... Played into the uh, right side of the box and then kept into the box for the goal. So, 1-1 in the World Cup Final in the 34th, uh, 33rd minute right now. Really nice play by Perisic. Uh, tremendous uh, shot. So, uh, we'll keep you up to date with that. We'll talk to Jesse Rogers in a couple minutes. First, the uh, MLB uh, notebook. Then We mentioned this. The Cardinals have fired Mike Matheny after they lost back-to-back games at home to the Reds by six-plus runs for the first time since 1940. They said, you know what? We know the Reds are playing well. Uh, There's been problems. It's enough. We've seen enough of you, Mike Matheny. You're gone. So he has left the building. Uh, Texas Rangers, uh, Jin Su Chu extends his on-base streak to 50 games. That's right. Getting on-base. They say on-base percentage. That's what it's all about. He's gotten on-base 50 straight games. That's a good thing. The Cubs have a lead over the Milwaukee Brewers by a game and a half in the division. And one of the reasons is because Milwaukee played Pittsburgh yesterday. 
Not once, but twice. In his seventh game in eight days, including the second time today. And the dream series continues for the Pirates. They've won the first four games against the Brewers, sweeping the doubleheader. Yep, they sweep a doubleheader from the Brewers, and they still got them from one more game today. And because of that, the Cubs, with their win in San Diego, have a game and a half lead. Heck, the Cubs were in first place by themselves before the game yesterday because that doubleheader was earlier in the day. Also, Toronto and Boston, they went to extra innings. Xavier Bogart said, I got enough of this. They're all loaded. High fly ball, deep into left center field. Get out Way here. back it carries. That ball is gone! The Red Sox walk it off in style. That's how it's done. The X-Man strikes. Time. Holy cow, boy. Holy cow, boy. Uh, Boston gets the win. They have won nine of their last ten. They have a three-and-a-half game lead over the Yankees. Xavier Bogarts with the grand slam. Quickly, uh, look at the standings. Uh, Boston by three-and-a-half on New York. Cleveland, a seven-and-a-half game lead on Minnesota. Houston's lead now five on Seattle. Remember about a week ago, Seattle had the lead in that series, uh, or in that uh, division. Now it is Houston by five games, Oakland nine back. In the east of the National League, Philadelphia, a game and a half lead over Atlanta, meaning Philadelphia goes to the break, leading the division with Atlanta one and a half back, Washington six and a half back. The Cubs have a game and a half advantage over Milwaukee with St. Louis seven and a half back. And Arizona, Half game better than the Dodgers. Colorado is two and a half back. San Francisco still in it. They are three and a half games off the pace. And now time to talk to our guy. We tracked him down. Oh, Jesse? Yes, we tracked uh, Jesse down. There's about to be a penalty kick also because uh, France had a corner. Croatia called for the handball. VAR was used, and there will be a penalty kick awarded to France. So that kick is uh, upcoming in the World Cup. They're in the 37th minute, 1-1 at the moment. Okay, Jess. I know Jess is up just in time to watch the World Cup. So what's <laughs> going on, Jesse? Yeah, why don't they stop the clock when the ref goes oh, and Jesse, watches the come video? Come on. <laughs> hey, hey, why, why doesn't your sport have a clock? How about that, Jess? <laughs> you knew that was the first thing I was going to say. Uh, man, if this game ends 2-1 to one because of this, and I don't know if the guy's going to score, wow, that's a, that's a rough way to go down, right? I mean, he's clearly not using his hands on purpose. But anyway, we could talk some baseball and get to the soccer <laughs> later. What's up? Hey, uh, Javi, a surprise, huh? Javi with five RBIs, he just keeps it going. He's on a roll. 71 RBIs, Jess. You know, there's only one guy in baseball with more RBIs than Javier Baez. I bet you never, ever thought you would be able to say that. Uh, no, uh, this is quite the first half. Even he is surprised, mostly because he's a slow starter, like a lot of guys are. So this is usually when he heats up. So think about it. If he's going to heat up in the second half, wow, he's going to put together quite the year. I don't think anybody really saw this level of bias coming. Um, offensively, uh, the batting average is still high, even though he doesn't walk, which is fine. He might win an MVP award or, or be in the finals with like 25 walks. I'm not sure we've ever seen anything like that. And this is a unique player in that respect. And Joe talks about it, and he uses him as, a, as an example of forget the analytics. Look at this guy and the way he plays. It's amazing, and I give credit to Joe because 
years ago when all I saw, when all anybody saw was the big home run swing and spring training and, and stuff like that, he saw the great base runner. He saw the great instincts. He talked about that. One of his first things he did, goal. One of the first things he did. Jesse's watching. Yes, he is. Yeah. One of the first things he did is go watch Javi Baez in Puerto Rico in winter ball. And he came back and he said, I saw a great base runner. And if you are a great base runner, you have great instincts. And that was like four years ago. This is in the, in, in the winter of between 15, or 14 and 15, when before uh, uh, Madden had even managed a game. And he said this about Baez. And and then he gave, he spoon fed him. He slowly gave him you know that that starting gig. Right, he didn't start every day until really last year into the playoffs. Actually, in sixteen, and then finally he's starting every day, and he figures it out on offense a little bit more than he had before. Still swinging crazy, but now he's going the opposite field. It has been an amazing maturation process to watch him. And now he's an MVP candidate. 2-1 France, uh, 40th minute in the World Cup final. Jesse, what is the best part about Baez's game? Which part of his game do you enjoy the most? Well, I, I, I like uh, like Joe. I mean, the, the base running stuff is cool because you just, you, you, I feel like you don't see those instincts on the bases as, as much as, as maybe you used to. You know, it's kind of, it's a little robotic out there. You know, the stolen base is a dying art, but he's brought that back. Um just it, it, it's just weird, and like the, the two nights ago when he went home from you know first to home, it, uh, uh, he talked about you know he does things a little different. And, and Joe talked about this last night. He just he'll pick up the third base coach. He'll look behind him. He'll goad players into you know things, uh, pitchers. Um, I, I I think it's the base running. I, I really do. Now, just as from a technical standpoint, seeing him go the other way uh, on offense has probably been the biggest. You know, jump for him. Understanding that taking that outside pitch to right field is the right thing to do. The one that he can make contact with. Now he still will swing and miss at that one that's way outside, um, and that's his next level. You know, stop swinging at that, take some more walks, and then you're going to see. You know, I don't know what a triple crown winner or something. But um, I, I, I think watching him on the base pass is my favorite thing, and then just seeing him go the other way, which he never did for about you know two three years there. I think are the two things that are, have, have been really fun to watch. Going back through all the baseball you've watched, watched in your life, is there anyone that reminds you of Baez from, from the past? I have to go way back because nobody in recent nature, I mean, I'm trying to think of like the, 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 the good teams of the Cubs in last decade or even, you know, going way back to the 84 team. I mean, you know, Sandberg was great just thinking of second baseman. He certainly didn't do it with the flair. He did it with the exact opposite. Yeah, you're right. Than, than, than bias. He, I mean, I, I guess not. I don't think I can compare him to anybody. Um, I, I, you know, plenty of guys have good instincts. This seems like a whole other level to go along with the power and, um, and the base running. I mean, no, I, I, I don't think I can compare him. You know, the one thing that uh, comes to mind, Jesse, you were just talking about comparing him, and I was thinking about some of his plays in the field. The play he had the other day where he, like, threw behind the back uh, to get the force out at second base as he was going down. I mean, it, it, that's a great play, but it, those, that is not an easy play for the shortstop because the shortstop's not usually looking for the ball coming from behind the uh, second baseman's back. I wonder if I wonder if Addison Russell, if they practice, it would be hard to practice that kind of stuff. But do you think he's, you know, as a shortstop, he's got to be prepared for the ball coming from any direction from this guy? 
Yeah, I mean, Rizzo talks about that as well. I mean, you just have to be ready. And, um, you know, traditional moments don't don't apply to him. If there's a guy on second and there's a ground ball hit to Baez at second, I mean, we haven't seen this move this year. But I, I don't think there's any doubt. Most of the time you go to first, right, he might go to third to get that guy. Yeah. You know, it's cut down the lead runner, stuff like that. I've talked to Rizzo about being ready for a Baez type of play at any moment. And um, you know, I've talked to Butterfield about it as well, and you know he's been, he's his own third base coach out there. So yeah, defensively, guys like Russell, I mean, it's a great uh, double play combination when they're both going well, and they they have defensively for the most time for the most part this year. He's just at a whole other level, and um, you know, I, I I he's one of these guys. You know, like I said, there's plenty of guys with good instincts, but there's a whole other level to him. I, I mean, I actually think and he's he's thinking ahead defensively. More than most guys I've ever seen. Where he, like, you know, I, I when I used to coach the league, I'd be like, think about what you're going to do with the ball, no matter where it's hit to you. You know, if it's hit to your left, if it's hit to your right, you know, with guys on base and stuff like that. I think he's thinking of that all the time. Where am I going with this ball, no matter where it's hit? And I think he's thinking that way on the base pass. You know, where am I? Where? Where? Can, how far can I get? No matter where that ball lands. And I just feel like he's a step ahead, which I don't think there's a lot of guys like that. Hold it, is this breaking news when you used to coach Little League? Have you, have you stopped? Have you given up your coaching career? Well, it would be a little strange if my son, who's getting coached in high school, you know, is, is too old for Little League and I'm still coaching. You know what I mean? I, so it would be a little, 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 uh, I'll, I'll use the word creepy. It would be a little creepy if I'm coaching Little League without my kid there. All right, okay. Jesse. Uh, okay, let's get back to Okay. Uh, Kyle Hendricks, uh, back-to-back solid performances. Is he finding his groove? little bit. I mean, he's given up nine first-hitting home runs, and I, I talked about that last night. It's all well and good when your team scores 11, but pretend last night's a playoff game. He gives up a first-hitting home run. That could that could bury you for the game. So he's not quite there yet, but he just seems to settle down even when he has a bad first. Um, so he's getting there. He's getting there. you, you got to love the fact that he doesn't lose his mind after a bad first inning. Like, he can give you four or five more. Problem is the pitch count gets up there, and that's why Joe pulled him 102 pitches after five. He's not getting an All Star break. Think about it; he's pitching five days from yesterday. Yeah. You know yeah. that. It, I mean, that is not an All Star break. That's just pitching five days later, like you always do. Only difference is you don't have to come to the ballpark, but he will. He will be there on Tuesday for a bullpen session. So this guy gets no All Star break at all. Nothing. His routine stays the same. And that's why he was pulled after 102, and he threw 109 the, the, the start before. I mean, he's he's getting there. We know what's in him over these last few starts, um, but it's not quite there yet. Uh, you got to get past those first inning woes. That can kill you in a big game. Luckily, they scored 11 runs last night. Well, and I know two nights ago after Rizzo had three hits, even though his first hit was not leading off the game, he had three hits batting technically in the leadoff spot when people were asking Joe if he was going to be leading off. Yesterday, he said, yeah, book it. What did he say last night about today? Or did he say anything? He didn't say anything about today. I, I could see it happening absolutely today. I don't think it will it will be there on Thursday. I think he's going to have a reset come Thursday, second half, maybe maybe find a, a, a more traditional lineup. I think I think it'll be he'll, he'll do it today, though. But after today, especially if Rizzo has another good game, then we're talking about three games, maybe he's out of his slump. Um, I think he goes back to something more traditional, which was Elmora leads off against lefties, Zobra against, uh, Zobrist against righties, and so on and so forth. So I think this will be the last day for a while uh, for Rizzo leading off. 
Have you noticed anything this season, Jesse, with Rizzo's game? I mean, it's unusual that he's 10th on the team in war, and I know he's slumped at the start. He's been slumping as of late. I, has something changed with his game? Is he a different player now? What's going on with Rizzo? No, I don't think so, and I've done a lot of investigating on this. I just think he's having a bad year, bad first half, and a down first half, whatever you want to call it. And you know, once in a while, a great player will do that, right? Bryce Harper's hitting 220 or whatever it is. It, it, it'll happen once in a while. 213, so, 214, even 214. worse, yeah. Yeah, he's been so consistent that it surprises you. Um, asked about the back, he says no. People around him say no. All you can do is believe that until you hear differently. Um uh, asked about his mechanics, looked into his swing, all pretty similar. There's always little things, of course. Um, I thought anecdotally, meaning just watching the eye test, I thought he was popping the ball up more. I looked at it, same amount of pop-ups. Uh, the walk-to-strikeout ratio, not not the same. Now, his strikeouts are actually down, but his walks are down, too. They're both down. Not Don't care about the strikeouts, but the walk game, it, it, it does matter. But he's not chasing. He's not chasing as much. In fact, his chase percentage is at a career low, so... One answer to that I you know just came up with he's getting pitched really well and sometimes there's there's guys that go through a season where they just get they get that I think that's one case and he's pulling the ball more he is hitting into the shift a little bit more 54 percent pulling it this year 45 percent last year that means straight pulling it that, that that doesn't include hitting it to center or left so some of that is going on I think the pulling came because uh, he started out slow and wanted to make up for it you know. You start pulling for home runs and things like that. Um, so I don't think so. So it's good news. There's nothing hugely wrong there. I think he, he's in line for a big second half. Jazz, hopefully you're in line for uh, a nice flight home. And uh, you're, you got one more game today. Hopefully uh, Lester makes it a nice two-hour and 20-minute game. And uh, you can get out of there and get on home. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, one programming note. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be on with Eddie Olchek tomorrow if I make it back in time at 9 a.m. and 1 Kyle Schwarber, Schwarber will join us from D.C. hours before the Home Run Derby. So look for, looking forward to that tomorrow. Very, very right. nice. Yeah, looking it. forward to it. Jess, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, guys, enjoy the soccer. See ya. <laughs> Jesse see you, Rogers is in San Diego uh, enjoying what the Cubs have been doing as they go for another win uh, to this afternoon. John Lester taking uh, the bump. 11 o'clock, we got Ed Verk, so a lot more baseball. We'll talk, we'll hit on the Cubs, his opinion yeah. of that, but we'll also get into a lot of other things going on in the world of baseball. Chris Black, Fred Huebner, right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Ah, the World Cup is at the half. It is 2-1 in favor of France. Some questionable calls already. An own goal. Mandzukic has the ball go off his head into the net for France's first goal. Uh, Perisic scores. Then he gets called for a handball in the box. VAR says that, uh, yep, the handball, which, you know, he didn't do it per- intentionally. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Yeah, we get it. He wasn't trying to handball, but if you handball in the box, it's a penalty kick. That's how the rules work, uh, my friend. It's supposed to be that if your hand, you know, is in an unnatural position, and this guy was standing there and the ball went off his hand. So, uh, you know, Croatia will, I'm I'm sure if we talk to Yurko in a week or two or whenever, if they win, he'll have some uh, comments on it. We were talking about the Cubs. Let's grab really quickly uh, out to Great Lakes. And uh, John, you're on ESPN 1000. What's up, John? Hey, Fred, uh, love your show. Listen to you guys all week long. Uh, big Cub fan. I, I think uh, Javi and uh, Schwerber got a big disadvantage in the home run contest only because where the game is being played, uh, three time zones, it's a 3 o'clock game, might end at 6, California time. 
five-hour, six-hour flight to Washington? I mean, they won't get into bed till what, 3, 4 in the morning? Probably. Probably. And, and I think, you know, with getting up early and the adrenaline, I mean, they, they probably not going to get more than a couple hours sleep. So I, I just think it might be a big disadvantage. And also, I think I might have a play on your uh, no-catch-up thing. Isn't the, the Chicago tit, uh, down, the, the, the taste of Chicago is going on? Yeah. And maybe people, they don't want anybody to eat hot dogs with the ketchup. That could be a possibility. We appreciate it, John. Uh, I just I just found it a weird timing. It actually makes sense a little bit that maybe that's the reason and that's the timing is because it's it's so close to taste in Chicago and people are going downtown and eat, putting ketchup on their hot dogs. And, again, it, it's it's your hot dog, in my opinion. Whatever you want to put on it is fine with me. Hey, Fred, uh, I had a hot dog yesterday. Did you put ketchup on it? Nope. No? Well, you're a true, you're I, a true Chicagoan. I did not. Yeah, a lot of times I put ketchup and mustard, so that's just what I do because it's easy. It's I mean, for a burger, you put both on a burger, not 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 a hot dog. A lot of times I'll just put mustard on a burger. Yeah, I can do that. That's fine. I never put lettuce and tomato on a burger at home, and when I get a burger on the road, on the road at a restaurant, on the road, I'll always tell them keep all the healthy stuff. I just want the bun and the burger. And a lot of times, what I've been doing now, Danny Zetterman would be proud of me. I've been taking the butt okay. off. And then just eat well, the eat, the, eat the bun, Fred. Yeah. It's not going to kill you, okay? Sometimes I mean, just the bottom half because those pretzel rolls, they're, they're really they're yeah. Really but kinda... li- listen, uh, I work with Danny every day. Uh, just eat, eat people, eat the food. <laughs> Don't listen, eat people. That's a... I, I'm like when it comes to eating, I'm like J.R. Smith. I shoot first and ask questions later. Okay. So I just eat. And enjoy myself. Well, yeah, I don't. You, I don't you, have to inspect every little thing that comes across my way and say, "Can I eat that?" No, no. no. Edzo brings in donuts. I'm going to have a donut. But you're a runner. I mean, so you, yeah, you, still, you run it I mean, all off. I'd rather be happy uh, instead of being miserable eating carrots and and rabbit food. I mean, uh, come on. Now. I know. I, I understand. I completely understand. I've gone through my life uh, 60 years this way, so I'm pretty. I don't think I'm going to change much. You want a side of nachos? Yeah, let's get a side of nachos. Side of nachos sounds like yes, a great idea. Let's do that. Come on. And now. Merck from ESPN will join us next segment. We'll talk some more baseball. 312-332-3776 here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field and it is there and gone. Deep left center. Game over. Pets win. Pets win. Chicago's game day. He's at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Uh, welcome on in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner here till 12 o'clock. Don't forget, uh, later on today, actually for White Sox fans, you have uh, some of your, some of the prospects are actually playing in uh, the um, Futures game in uh, Washington, D.C. Dylan Cease and... Uh, Luis Basabe will be uh, leading off for um, the world team, I think it is. And uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is hitting second. He's the guy that the White Sox traded when he was 17 in order to get James Shields. Yeah, and you know, James Shields has really worked out for the Sox, right, Fred? He uh, he gets you a lot of innings. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, well, other than that, that's, uh, that's been about it. And uh, they were hoping there's still a possibility 16 days till the trade deadline. There's still a chance that, uh, yes, indeed, maybe they can move a James Shields or a Joachim Soria and uh, pick up somebody. But uh, we'll wait and see. One thing I forgot to mention in uh, my baseball notebook, Max Scherzer. 
from the Washington Nationals. His on-base percentage as a hitter, on-base as a hitter, is two eighty nine. That's 45 points higher than his on base of hitters against Max Scherzer. So as a hitter, he's got a 289 on base percentage, but hitters against Max Scherzer only getting on base at 244. That's impressive. Also, uh, how does that compare to Bryce Harper? I know Bryce Harper's <laughs> down year. Uh, is Max Scherzer uh, better no. at the dish at the moment? Let's or? see here. Uh, is he Max getting Scherzer's, close? <laughs> Max Scherzer's on base is 289, and Bryce Harper's is 365. Okay, so Harper gets on base more. What about the average, though? Yeah. How close are the averages? That's, yeah, that might be close. I have to find it. I don't have his. I can uh, look it up quickly. Yeah, because uh, right now, yeah, Bryce Harper hitting 214. He's got 78 walks. That's tops in Major League Baseball. 102 strikeouts. And um, yeah, he's not making four hundred million. Yeah, two fourteen, maybe total Let's for see. his career. But Pitchers, yeah, not, not making four hundred million. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and it's it's interesting too because Manny Machado. Those are the two big names, and we're going to talk with Adnan Verk from ESPN in just a little bit. Uh, talk with him because um, two fifty six. He's hitting two fifty six. Two fifty six to two fourteen. <laughs> Well, All right. well, granted, small sample size. Yeah, small sample yeah. size, right? But, now. you know, 256 is still better than 214. Ah, uh, baseball and numbers, Fred. Yeah, and I still love what uh, what Madden said earlier last night. He said, uh, Javi is playing the game of baseball. I don't think he has an analytical bone in his body. And I, I don't think he should. And it's fantastic because Javi uh, buys is exactly what Major League Baseball needs. Yeah. Those type of players who go out there, enjoy playing the game, they look like they're having fun, and they're making athletic uh, effort plays, and they're turning something, they're turning nothing into something more times than not, and that's exactly what baseball needs. Yeah. Baseball needs hobby buys and that style of player, the guy that, that will run out uh, uh, a ball hit to the gap when you're like, eh, slow up, don't, don't go past third. No, hobby thinks he can make it, and he gets in right. at home. That's fun, and I get it that sometimes that's not what the uh, book would suggest when you're playing baseball, but I think Javi pushing uh, the envelope is a good thing for Major League Baseball. There was a play about two weeks ago where Javi was at third base, and it was a runner at first, and they decided to throw to first, and Javi ended up stealing home. Yeah. And even Jim Deshays calling the game for the Cubs broadcast said, you know, it's not necessarily a smart smart play. There's nobody out. You get thrown out at the plate. Now, you know, there's there's a runner at third base. Now, granted, the Cubs have not all this year had a lot of success driving home runners from third base. It's been one of the things that they've been struggling with, not so much of late. But um, until I've come, I've come to the conclusion, until Javi makes a few outs, in doing this, you got to keep him going. You you got to take the reins off him, and he is exciting for baseball. I mean, our little friend that sits here, Adam Abdallah, our little friend. Our little friend that's that a good way here. to describe it, right? Our little friend, our little yeah. friend Adam Abdallah, who Abdallah. sits here. If yeah. you can get Adam Abdallah, friend. if you can get Adam Abdallah <laughs> excited about baseball, which I think Javier Baez does quite often, because almost yeah. anytime Javi does something. I look at my Twitter, and Adam has already tweeted about it. Yeah, Javi Swag. And I don't know if he's got some kind of, uh, if, if he has a monitor just on Javi, because I can't imagine that Abdallah's watching each and every minute of the Cubs games. But every time Javi does something even remotely interesting, it's already on Twitter. I think he does have a monitor. Um, with the, the play that you were talking about with Javi and the stealing of home, the one thing that I always think about 
as you sit and watch a baseball game is the one reason the move does kind of make sense, even though it's suggested that that's not how you're supposed to play baseball, is what had to happen to get Javi out. Two separate executed plays by the defense that had to go perfectly to then get him. So if you have one slight part of that play off, then Javi gets in, and that's what happens. So, like, again, forcing the issue. And, you know, Abdallah's over the top. It, it, yes, is, is. it is now a uh, character. It's a caricature of a fan who enjoys Javi Baez. But there's reason for it because he's so exciting. He's so fun he to watch. And he deserves everyone being excited for when something great happens with Javi Baez. Yeah, it's it's truly amazing. And, you know, I know that there were people tweeting. Uh, there were people tweeting at Abdallah yesterday because they heard yeah. me use the phrase Javi Swag. And, um, you know, then well, someone you, you, said they go, listen, we can even teach an old man that, uh, you know, about Javi and his swag. And, well, Fred, and, th- think about it. no choice. In, in most cases in baseball, when would you see someone swag out after a home run, right? Yeah. They hit a home run. They know it's gone. They start to watch it. They, they kind of trot around the bases. But Javi Baez brings a different style of play to the game that you don't see from any other players across baseball. You know, we saw for a... a, a a little sliver of time, uh, Yasiel Pui kind of played with that that yeah. swag, and then he kind of regressed into a different type of player. So he wasn't worth all the the you know pimping home runs and all this other stuff. But Hobby Buys just seems to have so much fun, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, it is a lot of fun to watch. Chris Black, Fred Hubner with you, and now we get a chance to uh, talk more baseball with Adnan Verk. And I'm sure Adnan, you're a big fan of Hobby Swag, are you not? Uh, Chris, Fred, that guy's unbelievable. Uh, ever since he kind of burst out of the scene, I think he's one of those guys that you just love paying attention to. And now I think the talent has matched the swag. You know, I think some at first thought, well, too much swag, not enough talent. But now he's really put it all together. The fact he's an all-star, the fact he's going to be uh, in the home run derby, I can't wait to watch him play. I think you need more players like that in baseball, right? Like, I think on a national level, uh, too many people think of baseball as being boring or, you know, towards an older demographic. But... If he had more Javi biases in the game, I think he'd have more flash and, and, like I said, the substance to go along with it, which is just as important. Adnan Verk from ESPN joining us. He is already in D.C. Uh, you're calling the celebrity softball game, also doing baseball tonight. And, and that's, you know, it, it's a, it's got to be a great time to do baseball tonight. Everybody congregating in the nation's capital for this one, for the All-Star game. Now, it it doesn't count anymore. But I, I think the people that are going and playing are really looking forward to it, especially when you got guys like Wilson Contreras and Javi Baez from the Cubs, this exciting Cubs team, a team that's in first place. They're 16 over 500 right now, making their first appearances at the All-Star Game as starters. they got to be over the top. So this has to be something you're really looking forward to. No question about it. I think uh, the baseball All-Star Game and all the festivities are the best that, that take place in sports. Um you know, I think that, as you said, the game may not mean anything, but the rules don't change. Like, whereas in basketball and hockey, there's just such an absurd amount of offense and nobody's trying and stuff to get into it. The Pro Bowl is unwatchable. Whereas I think baseball, like, it's still Max Scherzer is still pitching to Mike Trout. Like, it's still, you know, nobody's grooving fastballs. These guys are still trying to get each other out. And while it's true that there's nothing at stake anymore, that there's, there's no doubt competitive juices are a big part of it. So um, I've always loved the game and loved the experience. And as I said, that the the moments around it, celebrity softball is a ton of fun. We, that's, we just had a meeting this morning. Tim Kirchner is playing in it like he's 61 years old, but it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. we got Bill Nye, the science guy. Jamie Foxx is playing in it for the third straight year. Shaq is going to be the DJ. It airs after the home run derby tomorrow, so I encourage people to check it out on ESPN. But then you mentioned baseball tonight actually at the park tomorrow. That, that's probably the most fun day is the home run derby, fellas. 
because as you mentioned, I'll be there early, and then I'm, I'm going to be doing baseball tonight at 4.30 local, uh, just like an Around the Cage show, and then an hour show right leading into the Derby, as Carl Ravage and company are getting ready to call it. But everybody there's in a great mood, man. Everyone there just wants to see some home runs, and it's a little break, and... Um, you know, I'm sure for the players it is exhausting. Mark Teixeira has told me that. The amount of media, you know, you're trying to take care of family and such. But as you mentioned, for Contreras and Baez, for guys that you're there your first time, it's what you dream of. You dream of being an all-star and getting that moment in the sun. So I love every part of it, man. And I think the, uh, the infectious enthusiasm is really apparent from all the players, especially the young guys. I remember the home run derby last year. I was watching it with David Ross and Tim Kirchin. We're on the third base sideline with Max Scherzer, and Kenley Jansen with this giant camcorder recording it all. So, like, trust me, the guys are into it. They all want to watch it, even if they're not participating. And then when we were talking about Javi Baez earlier, we were trying to figure out if anyone throughout the history of baseball reminds you of the style of play that Javi plays with. Can Is there any names that you can kind of point to and say, yeah, Javi kind of reminds me of that guy? The one guy I think of only because I think of swag and confidence and a little bit of arrogance is Ricky Henderson. You know, when Ricky would hit those home runs, Give that little, uh, you know, shoulder shrug. And, and speaking of celebrity softball, he did that last year. Like, first pitch at the home run, he did that. He did, like, a bit of a crow hopper. Like, yes, Ricky's the best. I, I, obviously, different positions with Ricky being an outfielder and, and Bias being an infielder. But just the way that they both played uh, with that kind of edge and confidence. Maybe a little bit of Omar Vizcal. You know, Vizcal, I don't think, was necessarily a hot dog, but he could make the routine look so easy. And all those barehanded plays, that's something you could see Bias do. Uh, but, you know, Kirkton, who's covered baseball for like four decades, he said to me he's never seen a guy better at tags than Javi Baez, which may sound like an odd thing to point out to, but it's amazing. He's, you know, whenever you see a guy just lay a tag on, Baez is better than anybody. Whenever that throw comes from Contreras, he's so good at doing it. Whatever position he's in, uh, it's really a lost start for a lot of guys who are out of position and not sure how to do it. But, yeah, Baez, I think a little bit of Vizquel, I think a little bit of Rick. I'm sure that the Washington Nationals hosting the All-Star game, they had hoped for a better season. They figured, ah, the whole nation is going to be coming here. We're going to be in first place. They find Philadelphia and Atlanta both ahead of them. The Nationals are six and a half games back of Philly and five games behind Atlanta, who's in second place in the East. What have you thought about that East, and what do the Nationals do to get over these two teams? It's really been topsy-turvy, hasn't it? It feels like it's been a lot longer since Philadelphia and Atlanta have been relevant. I mean, Atlanta hasn't made the playoffs since 2013. Of course, you remember the Phillies team of 08 with Rollins and Howard and Utley, and now they're back. I mean, Philadelphia, to me, has been the real surprise. I thought they'd be good this year, but really they were looking towards next year and the year after. Instead, uh, they've hit the hit the rebuild curve early, and Arietta's been a part of that, obviously. Aaron Nola is tremendous, making the all-star team. He's such a good player, along with guys like Odebal Herrera and Reese Hoskins. Um, Atlanta is another team that I thought would be probably next year, maybe the year after. But again, they've hit the reset button early. I love Alex Anthopoulos, the job that he's done rebuilding that team. Ozzie Albies is an all-star. Acuna obviously has a lot of promise. Underrated pitching staff with guys like Fulton Evich and what they've been able to contribute. So Washington's in real trouble. Um, I called the Nationals game July 2nd. It was me and Timmy Kirchin and Eduardo Perez. And it was interesting talking to Davey Martinez. Um, you know, he was trying to say all the right things, but he was honest with the fact they've been hit hard by injuries. There's no doubt about that. And the fact that Matt Wieters was out for a while, now he's back. Adam Eat was out for a while, now he's back. Um, but Bryce Harper just hasn't been himself. I mean, when you're hitting just a little bit over the Mendoza line, that's a real cause for concern. I know he still walks a ton. I know he still hits a lot of home runs, but, but he makes that thing sing. And that day, we saw him taking, during BP, he was taking grounders at first. We thought it was so strange. But David Martinez told us, listen, sometimes guys just like doing stuff to get out of their rhythm. 
Uh, it felt really odd to me, but I guess if that's going to help Bryce Harper feel better about baseball and feel looser to take some grounders at first turn BP, uh, then go for it because he's the guy they really need. Trey Turner's a good young player, you know, borderline all-star. Uh, Anthony Rendon is obviously terrific. But they need more after that, and they're pitching. Again, Strasburg was hurt. Scherzer's incredible. He should win his third Cy Young, straight Cy Young. Um, but after that, there's just not enough depth. Gio Gonzalez isn't consistent enough for me. They have upgraded the bullpen, which is a good sign with the move of Kelvin Herrera. But honestly, the Nationals are a 500 team, and Philly and Atlanta aren't going anywhere. So they, to make the playoffs, they've got to play 600 baseball in the second half, and I honestly don't see it happening. The Cubs uh, are a game and a half up on the Brewers. The Brewers lost two games yesterday for the Cubs to go up to that lead in, in the division. Uh, what do you see of Milwaukee from the first half, and can they stay in this race with the Cubs from here on out? I think they can, although I've always felt like Chicago was the better team, and eventually they were going to surpass them. So I'm actually pleased just as we hit the All-Star break, I'm sure Cubs fans are too. They just haven't Chicago in first. Maybe it's meaningless, but I think it's just nice to be able to go into the break. And you know what? We're the first-place team. We're the big boys here. Rather than always playing catch-up, kind of like in the NBA, you know, you're down 15 points. You're always trying to play catch-up, but eventually you tie it. You kind of just loosen up a little bit because you expended so much energy to get there. So for the Cubs, I feel like, all right, if they're in first place, now Joe Madden can tell us, all right, second half, boys, let's just go to work and take care of it. They're chasing us now. But the reason why Milwaukee, I don't think it's going anywhere, is a great offense. Jesus Aguilar, you talk about Baez being a fun player to watch. Aguilar's amazing, and he's going to be awesome in the home run derby because that guy just rakes. I mean, he's just looking to pound the ball with ferocity every single time. Leading in slugging percentage, he's top five in RBI. It's a whack of home runs. Uh, they've also got all-stars in Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich. So credit to their front office. How about you? You're bringing two guys, and both those guys are all-stars immediately in the first season here. They knew they were getting good players, but they've obviously paid dividends. Uh, bullpen's excellent. Corey Canable's a good closer. My concern for them guys is they're starting pitching. They've got like a bunch of number three starters. There's no guy there that stands out. And especially if you get in a wild card situation, just imagine if it was Dodgers and um, and the Brewers, you know, you're going to face Clayton Hurst in a one-game wild card. Let's say it's the Phillies, you're going to face Arietta. You know, it's just not going to be a good situation. It's the Nationals, they got Scherzer. So Milwaukee needs to upgrade their pitching. The problem is the two names we keep hearing the most about are guys who are not major names, Cole Hamels. And Jay Happ, Jay Happ's got a four and a half ERA. Like it's embarrassing that he's the All Star for the Jays, but they got nobody else, so he's the guy. Uh, and Hamels is now a number three, number four guy. So Milwaukee really needs a starting pitcher in order to hang with the Cubs. But I do think they can be a wild card team, no doubt about it. It'll be a big comeback for France if they uh, if Croatia. A big comeback for Croatia. I mean, France is just taking a three one lead in uh, the World Cup. And uh, was that Paul Pogba that scored? Yeah, the uh, Croatia couldn't get it out of the box, and Pogba came up and rifled it into the back of the neck. So they're in the 60th minute, three one France. By the way, fellas, I did not break concentration either. I am also watching that. <laughs> uh, you have my full undivided attention. France is up three one. They lose, but yes. I'm with you guys. How about the ricochet and then the yeah, second right? shot? Wow. Yeah. And the Croatian goalkeeper just falls over. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think they should change this. They should never play uh, the World Cup final again while we're at, we have to be on the air. But that's, <laughs> that's something I think we have to worry about and take care of. Um, all season long, it's been, what? where's Manny Machado going to end up? There's 16 days till the trade deadline. Uh, I'm going to ask you the same question. Where's he going to end up? I, even the Red Sox and Yankees have been involved. We've, we've heard Milwaukee is a possibility. Now they've gone into a slump. What do you think is going to happen? Brewers and Phillies, both really strong candidates. And Buster Olney's story yesterday was that Baltimore's narrowing a little bit. You're right. They've had conversations with a series of teams. I don't see the Red Sox happening. I mean, they've got, they think they have their best record um, potentially ever. I mean, they're, they're right now where they are, 
They haven't been this good since like the 50s. Alex Cora's got that team rolling. They're going to be well over 100 wins, and they're three and a half games up on the Yankees. The Yankees are interesting. You know, Cashman just isn't the type to want to give up prospects when he can sign a guy in the offseason. But uh, if they continue to be three and a half back of Boston, they feel like, you know what, we can't take the risk of a one-game playoff. Let's just go ahead and get Manny because we want to trust him in the offseason anyways. Let's do it. Um, Gregorius is a good player. Obviously, had a great first month. Since then, he's slowed down a little bit. So Machado is an upgrade no matter what team you have. Um, and obviously, you can play him at third base if you want to, even though Andujar has been a good-looking rookie as well. So I'm uh, curious to see if the Yankees really are interested. Red Sox, I say no. I think Brewers and Phillies. Both those teams have excellent farm systems. They can give them good prospects to get Manny. Everybody knows it's a two- or three-month rental. So it's not like as valuable as you're getting a guy for, let's say, two years. But the hope is that certainly you give up prospects and then sign Machado. I don't know if Milwaukee can afford him. Philadelphia certainly can. They've got deeper pockets than people realize. He's a tremendous player, transcendent player. Everyone's saying how much money he and Bryce Harper are going to get. I would take Manny Machado on my team ahead of Bryce Harper if I had the $300 million million to throw around. But there's no doubt if you're a Cubs fan, that changes things. If Milwaukee gets Machado, I still think they need pitching, but he'd be an awfully huge boost to that already strong offense. Out West, I think since May 22nd, the Dodgers have had the best record in baseball. Are they a lot better than what their record shows today? I think so. I think the first couple months of the year, it was just the injuries. The fact that Justin Turner is out, Corey Seager is out, Kershaw is hurt. Now they're back, and now they're playing better baseball, and they're used to being what we're seeing from them. And, and Dave Roberts, good for him for weathering the storm. There were some questions about whether or not he'd be able to last. But he's a good manager, and he was able to to kind of hold the fort. And now they're, they're neck and neck with the D-backs. That division's interesting because the Giants are only three and a half back, the Rockies are only two and a half back, and then the Dodgers are a half game back at Arizona. But I feel like Arizona and L.A. are the two best teams. And as you mentioned, if you just look at the smaller sample size of what L.A.'s been, over the last month and a half, they're clearly the better team. So they should win the West. Uh, I don't know if they make the World Series as they did a season ago, because I like the Cubs more. I like Milwaukee. I, I do think Philly and Atlanta are legit contenders. But the one thing with the Dodgers is they have deep pockets, too. So if they want to make a move the deadline, they're willing to do that. And I agree with you. Record better than indicates. They're definitely, I think, the best team in the West, personally. You know, for the longest time, uh, we've been hearing for years, uh, Seattle Mariners are coming, Seattle Mariners are coming, and I thought they actually were about up until about a week ago. And uh, now they've dropped five games behind Houston. That was an interesting race most of the year so far. Does Seattle have enough? Are, are they a team that needs to go on out and do something if they want to hang close and maybe get a wild card? Could use some pitching, there's no doubt. They could use a Jay Happer or a Cole Hamill, especially with Felix Hernandez being put in the DL. He's not the same King Felix in the past, but he's obviously a guy who's an important part of their rotation. Paxton's their ace, but he's more after that. Marco Gonzalez and such. Good bullpen, and obviously a really good offense. I'm so happy Mitch Hanager made the All-Star team playing in the Northwest. Not enough people watch that guy. He's really good. Gene Segura's been hit 330. He's an All-Star as well. And Nelson Cruz still bashes a ton of home runs. You know, the average is down. Seager's been a real disappointment for them. If he could actually pick it up, that'd be nice. And obviously Cano's out with the suspension, but I do agree that they need a little bit of a boost because I don't see them catching Houston. Houston, for me, uh, along with Boston, the two best teams in all of baseball. So five games back, I think, will start to increase over time in the second half. But I think they're a wild-card team, and Seattle has the longest drought of any team. They haven't made the playoffs since 2001. So I do think they make the playoffs, although watch out for the A's. The A's are not creeping up on them. They're 12 games over 500, a robust offense. Again, Billy Bean has shown in the past if he's in it, he's willing to make a move as well. So... I do think Seattle, I wouldn't say it's a tenuous grasp on the wild card because Oakland is there. 
But I don't think the division is going to happen. Uh, that's just too tough with Houston there. And we haven't seen a repeat champion since 2000 when the Yankees won three in a row. Houston, they win the, the World Series last year. They have 64 wins. Uh, should people be talking more about the Houston Astros this season? I think so, fellas. I think naturally we were kind of just inclined, especially at ESPN in the Northeast, we focus so much on the Red Sox and the Yankees. And they are two absolute heavyweights once again. It's back to being that rivalry of the past. But honestly, you can make a really strong case. Houston's the best team there. I think it's Houston, Boston, one, two. Uh, the pitching is obviously outstanding. Another goal. My goodness. Mbappe. I can do the update. France is now four to one. This yeah. is the highest scoring World Cup final we've had already since 98. Now it's just a blowout. Four to one. Oh, yeah. What are the Croats doing? Guys, we <laughs> needed to have France and England. That would have been like Redskins, <laughs> Cowboys. That would have been who the hell wouldn't want to cheer for either the French or the English or cheer against out of those teams. Croatia, little country that could, 4 million people, they're getting doused right now. Yeah, no, it's not going, looking good right now. Before we let you go, Ed, man, we appreciate it as always. I, we know you're a big uh, movie guy, and you talked about some of the people in the celebrity uh, softball game. You mentioned Jamie Foxx. Um, was there a person that you're going to be able to meet that you hadn't met and wanted to meet? And If not, who is the most recent celebrity movie celebrity that you've met doing what you've been doing that really excited you probably as much as baseball because obviously you meet all these baseball guys but who's this celebrity maybe a tv person or a movie person that you've met that's really been you're really looking forward to and they didn't let you down yeah through celebrity softball there's been two and they were both in the same move that'd be miles teller and jk simmons of course jk simmons won the oscar for sure. Whiplash. And Miles Teller's been a really good young actor. He's a huge Eagles fan, as I am, too. So we talked a lot about Philly. Um, but he's a great guy. They've actually, <laughs> Miles Teller's now played in it twice. J.K. Simmons was going to try to play in it again this year, but unfortunately was able to drop out the last minute. But, yeah, I'm a huge fan of both those guys. And it was just funny. I never thought I'd be calling celebrity softball and then get to know them because of that. And as you mentioned, I got to have them on my podcast in a file on the ESPN app on iTunes. So that was really, really cool. This year, I mean, Fox is the biggest name. Uh, as always, Jenny Finch is there, Jessica Mendoza. As far as the old-school baseball guys, Andre Dawson. I love Tory Hunter, you know, Cliff Floyd, Rock Reigns, guys like that. It's really fun to meet them. And like I said, Timmy Kirchner, 61 years old, playing in celebrity <laughs> softball. The guy's the best. <laughs> well, it's funny. I know earlier in the week, I think on uh, on Wingo and Golick, they were asking Timmy Kirchner if he knew some of the people that were playing <laughs> in the celebrity. And they mentioned names, and he was he said no. Unless they were baseball, former baseball players, he really didn't know who any of these people were. Yeah, Brian <laughs> Kelly from Florida Georgia Line. That's not in the Kirchner purview. Sky nope. Jackson's a young actress. He has no idea who that is. <laughs> Ashley Green, he'd have no chance. Chris Jackson's in Hamilton. I don't think Tim's a big musical theater kind of guy. Wale is a rapper. There's no chance Timmy would know who he is. Scott Rogowski, I don't even know. He's on HQ. He's a big Mets fan. So, yeah, Tim will be hanging out with uh, Steve Finley and, uh, you know, like I said, Andre Dawson. Bertie Williams will be there. Those will be Tim's guys. Yeah, I got to know Scott Rogowski recently just by playing HQ, so it's been it's actually fun. Uh, Tim, uh, and, and we really appreciate you jumping out for a few minutes. We know it's busy. Enjoy your time in uh, D.C., and we'll be watching the uh, Celebrity Softball game after the Home Run Derby. Brad, Chris, thanks so much, fellas. I appreciate it. Thanks. And then Verk, uh, just a great, his podcast is great oh, about, yeah. with the movies, the Academy Awards. He does a great show that they put together, too. Uh, he's talking to all these people. Re- really good stuff. And um, he's an Eagles fan. So yeah, got, so Fred, uh, as we're talking to Adnan, we're all watching the World Cup game here. And uh, really, when the second half started, France is just outclassed yeah, Croatia. Are. I mean, and it's not even to the point. 
Oh, and no. there, there's a goal. All right, let's creep back into this, Croatia. That's in the 69th minute, a sloppy uh, play by Hugo Lloris, and we have a 4-2 to two game. There are goals everywhere. Mandzukic with wow. his, his second goal of the game, the first for his country. I was just about to say, uh, for France, what has happened in the second half, you get all the mainstays scoring. You have Pogba, Kylian Mbappe, who is just running up and down the field like he's the fastest player in the yeah. world. Uh, Griezmann got a goal earlier from the uh, penalty kick. So all the star- stars showing up, and here we go. We have a 4-2 game, which... Uh, There's still 20 minutes to go. There's 20 never, minutes. Yeah. Uh, it is soccer, though, so two goals is a pretty, uh, yeah, pretty big lead. They've already six goals so far, so... So this, they, fun. this has been an outstanding uh, World Cup final, by the way. Even though it's a it's somewhat of a blowout at the moment, uh, what you've seen is a lot of up and down action. Uh, Croatia with a lot of possession, a lot of shots on goal, on a lot of shots, just right. not on goal. They've uh, shot the ball eleven times, four on goal. They have two goals. France has only taken six shots. Five of them on goal, and they have four goals. That's so. amazing. Unbelievable. They always tell you that the, the toughest uh, lead in soccer is a two-goal lead. Well, it was, you know, they, was, they were up three, France. Now it's two goals because you figure you're comfortable with your France. And, but if Croatia scores a goal that makes it 4-3, then you're back on your heels. So we'll keep you up to date on that the final half hour. Nick Friedel is going to join us. I'm sure he's in San Diego at a bar watching the game. I mean, what was Hugo Lloris doing? I don't know. That was the weirdest play I've wow. seen in a long time. Uh, it'll go down in World Cup history. And if you missed it, you can watch it later Holy and say, ah, I heard it. Black told me all about it. Wow. Right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000. We're keeping an eye on the World Cup and also getting you ready for baseball. 3 o'clock today, the Cubs wrap up their series in San Diego. What better uh, way to do it than uh, get a sweep? Go 17 games over 500 going into the All-Star break. And then wait and see. Sit back and see. 16 days until the trade deadline. Do Theo and Jed do something? What's going to happen with you, Darvish? Uh, you want to jump in? 312-332-3776. I kind of have a feeling, and I thought the Cubs, I felt this way about the Cubs last year. I thought the Cubs were just going to say, let's play it out and see where we end up. And now, because last year they went and got Car- uh, Carlos Quinton, when they got um, uh, Jose, Quintana. Jose Quintana. It's um, close. Yeah, it is kind of <laughs> close. Uh, they got Jose Quintana. I'm saying to myself, okay, and Jesse had brought this up before. They went out in a year Basically, the end, and picked up three new starting pitchers. Not yeah. many teams in baseball that are considered contenders do that. No. And they did. They picked up Quintana last year, then in the offseason, Chatwood and Darvish. Uh, we've not liked what we've seen from Chatwood. Uh, Darvish has not been out there because of the injury, and Quintana was inconsistent. He's had actually his last 10 starts, I want to say, his ERAs like just a little above three. So he's actually been pitching much better. But the question is, what are they going to do, if anything? Or are they just going to sit and rest on their laurels because they don't have any minor leaguers to trade and they don't want to move a Hap or an Almora or a Russell, apparently. Um, so I, I'm really interested to see what they're going to do uh, over the next couple of 16 days. And they, and they should do something because, uh, and l- like you said, because they have. And, and what's, I think, interesting is you look at the team today, 54 and 38, they're in first place of the division. 
and they're on pace with what they did in 2016. Yeah. The only difference is there's a team in their own division that has played good baseball like they have to right. this point in the season. So they don't, you know, the Cubs aren't entering the All Star break with a six, seven, eight game lead. No, uh, and you know, it's unusual to me to see a team in first place playing so well this year. Yet so many questions with the rotation. John Lester, know. we know, boom, there's your ace. Uh, Even your number two, Hendricks yeah. has struggled. Yeah. Quintana, can he be a number two? So, like, a team that's going to make the playoffs, whether it be winning the division or getting into that all-star, uh, the wild-card spot, I, I'm i unsure about the rotation, especially when you look, the Dodgers playing a lot better. That's yep. a team you could face in the playoffs. You know, the Phillies and the Braves, uh, who would have saw that coming into the season? One of those teams winning the NL East. So, it's going to be fascinating what the Cubs do before the trade deadline because you're right, Fred. It looks as if they need to add to the pitching staff, even though they have over the last year. They've added three guys. Yeah, they have added three. So it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, obviously, over the next couple of days, we'll have a lot to talk about, even though it's the all-star uh, break. And I know Cap comes back a little bit later on this week. Uh, Carmen and Yurko are off, so there's a lot of different people in here. I know I'm in I'm in tomorrow. I'm in on uh, Tuesday. So we'll have a lot to discuss. I am eager. I usually don't. And Chris, you probably know this. I usually do not like home run derby. You, I don't like the slam dunk contest. I like the three-point shooting contest, but I don't like the slam dunk. Maybe because it's too much swag. I don't know. Uh, maybe because you're. Maybe because I remember Blake Griffin jumping over a car. I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's diluted now. We've seen all the great dunks, and it, right. it seems as if the ideas have been used up. But the three-point shooting, I love. Yeah, because it's pure, a skill. Boom, boom, yeah. that's shooting threes. Uh, the home run derby is going to be interesting because of both Kyle Schwarber and Javi Baez being in it. Baez goes against Max Muncy. And I think Max Muncy had like two homers in the minors last year. And he's got more than 20 right now. Yeah, he's I mean, been awesome. It's pretty amazing. Uh, there's only one American leaguer. That's Alex Bregman. It's Jesus Aguilar from Milwaukee against Reese Hoskins for Philadelphia. Schwarber against Alex Bregman. Bryce Harper against Freddie Freeman. And Javi Baez against Max Muncy. There is a chance that if they win all the way through, it could be a final of Schwarber and Baez. That would be awesome. And there's only one person that would like that more than almost all the other Cub fans. You know who that is? Nick Friedle. Yeah, that's it. Nick Friedle would be the other person. I'm sure. Yeah. Drums, please. This is Chicago's game day. I've made it a point to go try and see all the festivals that I've been missing in Chicago. Oh, yeah, dude. It's summer. That means we got to buy fireworks. There's always something going on. I think I may go hit the Old yeah. Town, the Star Art Fair, yeah. Street Fair. There's, there's got to be something going on every day. All right. Everybody in the pool. <laughs> this is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Oh, he lives the life. He was in Vegas. I uh, saw him turn up on the jump uh, with Ramona Shelburne. And uh, now he's in San Diego, along with about 40,000 other Cub fans, as you can hear last night. A cheering on a Javi Baez 5-RBI performance. It is our guy, Nick Friedel. Hello, Nick. Guys, how are we doing? We're great, Nick. How are you, my friend? I'm in San Diego, so, I mean, it, it can't get too much better than it is right now. And, Freddie, last night was unbelievable because I'd say, like, 80% of that park, 80% of Petco Park was Cubs fans just going bonkers every time anything happens. So... Uh, it was an experience. If you are a Cubs fan and, and you want to check out your team 
on the road somewhere. I cannot stress enough how much fun San Diego is because on top of the fact it's like a home game for the Cubs, you walk outside uh, of the park and there's just bar after bar after bar and cool restaurant after cool restaurant. So, uh, And then, oh, by the way, it's 75 and sunny every day and you're near the beach. So this is the spot. Uh, and it's been a, a hell of a fun weekend so far. Have, have you gotten the check yet from the San Diego Chamber of Commerce? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just buttering them up. So yeah. if I ever make <laughs> big money in my lifetime, uh, they'll they'll help me find a cool place near the water. But yeah, I mean it. It really is. It's it's always fun for me going to road Cubs games because there is that feeling of community. Like, hey, all right, we're here. We're gonna we're gonna beat this team. But I mean, last night. <laughs> When you when you've got an entire road ballpark chanting Javi Javi, and I saw Jesse on Friday, we went and got a beer, and he's like, it happens everywhere now because Cubs fans are everywhere, and Javi is Javi this season. So uh, it's it's pretty fun to to see it unfold right in front of your eyes. You have nothing to say to him, Chris? No, I mean, it, it's, uh, yeah, all right, Javi Baez. He, he's filling right, in, in for the Abdallah roll today. No, come on, that's not nice. Like, yeah, yeah, all right. No, sure, I'm just letting sure. you get your Cub thoughts he's out there before mean. we talk basketball, the reason we brought you on the show. Who's meaner to you? Is it is Black meaner to you or is Abdallah hey, meaner to you? Freddie, you know what's great? When one of them is missing, their power is down. So they can't destroy me at the same time like they usually do. So that's why Chris is like, I need my buddy. I need my buddy. Where is he? It's not the same. He can't be as much of a jerk. And when they're when they're both together, that's trouble. Whether we're talking on the radio or just in life for me. But when one of them is not there, then they're more human and and then they give me a hug and you know, they tell me everything's good. So there you go. All right, Nick. Jabari Parker and the Bulls, they agree on a two-year, $40 million deal. The second year is a team option. I said earlier that this really, from a financial standpoint and the way the contract is uh, looking and the way the Bulls have kind of uh, taken this chance is a no-lose situation for the front office, but I don't really understand the basketball fit. Do you understand the basketball fit with Jabari on the court with the players that they have right now? Uh, not really, Chris, and I understand that completely. I mean, I think they just they needed a three, and they figured, all right, if this kid at 23 years old can find his form again, then why not roll the dice because they've got the, the cap space to do it. Uh, just do not discount how solid of a relationship the Bulls, uh, specifically Gar has with Mark Bartlestein, uh, Jabari's agent. He's represented a ton of Bulls players, uh, you know, over the years, I, I think that they're, they're hopeful on Jabari. Uh, you know, they they know he was the second pick. Uh, they know how much he he loves the city. They're hoping that he gets into this uh, situation and he can prove himself again. I mean, this is a kid who has averaged 20 points uh, when he's been healthy. The problem is he hasn't been healthy that much. He's had two ACL injuries. So, yeah, you know, it's it, this is this is the conclusion I came to after kind of going through everything yesterday and talking to a few people. It's a risk they were willing to take, uh, and if you're the Bulls and you're trying to find some way to re-energize a fan base, and uh, you know an offshoot of this obviously is uh, they've got all these season ticket holders dropping off. Well, what happens if this core of young kids gets hot? 
and they start winning a few games. I, I don't expect that early on, but what happens if it does? Then uh, people around the city uh, get interested. But as far as the Bulls are concerned, it's a risk they were willing to take, hoping that Jabari can find himself here. Uh, the reality, Chris, and I know you did as well last year, is uh, we both we watched Jabari. I mean, I, I watched Jabari really closely because I went to a ton of Bucks games, especially in those last, last couple months and in the postseason. Jabari wasn't very good. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just the truth. Uh, so, uh, you know, can he can he find a scoring form? Sure. I think the question on Jabari is, uh, is he going to be any better uh, on the defensive end? And that's where I'd really be worried because now you have Jabari and Zach Levine who are just uh, two really, really poor defenders. But if you're scoring a ton of points and you're putting an exciting product on the floor, uh, that's what you're you're going for here. So uh, at first blush, I was kind of like, oh man, like what? Like I I I understand what people are saying basketball wise, but they're thinking, all right, let's roll it, let's see what happens. We're going to score, we're going to be interesting, and if they can get hot and find a rhythm. Uh, maybe they can ride that wave into the back of the postseason. And you're ready to cover games where the Bulls win 130 to 127, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that's the yeah. idea here. Um, so, so the other thing with Jabari Parker is now you and I know the big buzzword from Gar Foreman and John Paxson this summer is versatility. So now you have a logjam of players with Jabari, Marketin, Carter, Lopez, and Portis. Uh, who's going to get what minutes? Man. Uh... Chris, one of the <laughs> one of the developments, not only of last uh, the last couple of days with Jabari uh, that becoming finalized, but uh, just in in the last couple of weeks is uh, the Bulls front office essentially saying to Fred Hoiberg, "Hey, we got you these offensive pieces. We need you to make this work." And I don't envy the task that Fred has uh, for the minutes issues that you just laid out. Uh, with the log jam of, uh, of of bigger guys. And then, you know, what happens when uh, Chris Dunn doesn't get off to the start that, that they need him to to run the offense? Or if Levine, which has happened several times in the last few years, kind of goes into a slump and isn't shooting very well, on top of giving up a bunch of points. I mean, Fred, he was known as the offensive guru that could make it work. Well, now he's got a lot of offensive players that, that don't play as much defense. Well, he's got a – I mean, every NBA coach has a ton of pressure Anytime you take over a team. Fred Hoiberg had way more than most because he took over for Tom Thibodeau, who won a ton of regular season games. Now entering into his fourth year, he's got all these players – uh, that have the skill of, of scoring baskets, but not so much the skill of playing defense regularly. Uh, and what what the Bulls are saying is, hey, look, you can make this work. you just got to find ways to do it. I, and, Chris, that's a long way of, of answering the question in that I don't know what the hell the answer is. <laughs> if you're Fred and you're looking at how you're going to divvy up minutes and you're going to try to find a way to make things happen, I don't know what you say. Uh, because that you know, and this is the reality, and this goes back to the Levine deal. Scoring twenty a game anymore in this league, it's not the same as what it once was five or ten years ago. Everybody can score. I mean, we see what the Warriors have done. We saw what the Rockets did last year. Guys can score a lot, 
the great teams, uh, the teams that are really solid throughout the season, they play defense. And that's the, the real issue to me is if you think Jabari, uh, another year removed from the second ACL injury, can show more lateral quickness and can be a guy who can get you uh, some defensive stops at times, then great. Like, you know, maybe he can be better. But right now with this roster, it's not even just the logjam of players they've got for minutes. It's what about shots? I mean, like, you, you've sold Markinen as kind of the, the face here, and you need him to get reps. Wendell Carter Jr. is a rookie, but he sure looks like a kid who needs some shots of his own. And then, oh, by the way, there's Levine, Jabari, Chris Dunn's going to want some shots. I mean, how does all this work uh, on top of having guys like Justin Holiday, who was shooting like crazy all year <laughs> last season, and uh, Robin Lopez as a veteran who's trying to find his own way. So uh, it's, a, it's an interesting team on paper. Uh, And it's going to be an interesting locker room with all the young pieces. Having said all of that, I don't think it changes in the end who the Bulls are. And to me, the Bulls are a team that's just on the fringe of, uh, of playoff contention next season. Nick, we appreciate it. Uh, I was going to ask you about Antonio Blakeney, but that's going to have to wait. We'll talk about him next time. <laughs> I'll be here next <laughs> Sunday, Freddie. We'll be ready to roll. Sounds good, Nick. Have a good right, one. See ya. Okay. See you, Nick, Nick Friedella in San Diego as he is watching the Cubs and Javi Baez. We'll wrap things up. I had a couple of questions for Chris. Um, before we're out of here, it looks like France is going to win unless uh, Croatia does something amazing. They've had a couple of chances here. Yeah, uh, they're in the 89th minute. It's 4-2 France. So, uh, They'll probably it, be like four or five minutes of stoppage time. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. what? At, at, at one point during the second half, you had four pitch invaders all at the same time yeah. on, on the field. So Yeah, so there'll be a little bit of a, a stoppage time. So yeah. we'll come back, wrap things up, and uh, get you ready for what's happening later on today right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Ah, France are your champs. Maybe not your champs, but they're going to hoist the World Cup as they win by a final of 4-2. to two. Uh, Yurko's got to be upset, I'm sure. I uh, want to thank uh, Jesse Rogers, Dan Wiederer from the Tribune, Adnan Verk of ESPN. Don't forget he's doing the Celebrity Softball Game. will be on tomorrow after the Home Run Derby on ESPN. And Nick Friedel, as always. So, a lot to talk about this week, even though it's the All-Star Game. No baseball. You get the All-Star Game on Tuesday night, Home Run Derby Monday night. Two Cubs participating. And um, I, to be honest, I'd like nothing. I want to see. I was going to ask Nick, but I'll ask you. Javi, we always talk Javi swag, especially mm-hmm. with our little friend here. Uh, our little friend, Adam yes. Adam Abdallah, who's Abdallah. not here today. Yeah. But Javi swag, and years ago, Ken Griffey Jr. aggravated me, made made tons of fans because he went to oh, Home Run Derby and wore his hat backwards. Will, will Javi wear his hat backwards? Will Javi not wear a hat? Hmm. I think uh, I would put my money... I think on no hat, no hat. hat backwards. Some guys would go no. A lot of guys would go no hat lately. Does Javi wear a hat when he's like taking uh, BP? I don't know. I don't know. So I'm going. I'm going huh. with Javi with no hat. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I'm Schwarbs, excited to watch it. Schwarber's backwards. I'm going Schwarber hat backwards hat. I yeah, think. yeah, that that makes sense for Schwarber. Um, Bryce Harper probably uh, no, he's got to have the hair out there, right? He'll have the hat and he'll knock it yeah, off. Yes, yeah. uh, Fred. On Tuesday, you and I are hosting for uh, Cap. Yes, we Cap are. and Company. Yep. So that should be fun. So we'll preview the baseball All Star game. <laughs> 
<laughs> can't wait. We'll recap the home run yeah, derby. I, I can't wait for that either. We'll play each and every one of the home you, runs. You know what we'll do, Fred? We'll derby. talk football. That's yeah, what we're going to do. We're going to talk football. We'll talk football, and we'll also talk uh, trade deadline, because uh, still nothing will have happened. <laughs> right. Thanks to uh, Felix Reyes for all of his help today. And uh, tomorrow morning, as Jesse mentioned... It's Jesse and Enzo. All right. Yeah, Cap will be in town soon. He's got his Croatia jersey. Let's see if he comes in with a French jersey on Wednesday. He probably will. <laughs> Thanks for listening here on ESPN 1000. She was a dream. She was a dream.